Hey guys, brand new podcast. It's the B-Man sitting here with the Leanne? L. Leanne. <laughs> Didn't roll off the tongue the way I thought it would. No. Um, it was a great podcast today. The one they're about to listen to. That was a question you had? Yeah. It was great. It was really great. And I wish we had more time. We had to cut it short because my daughters uh, were stealing daddy. Georgia came to me this morning and was like, daddy, we need to play tennis today. And I've been wanting to do that with her. And I've been so busy. I haven't been able to do it. And so I went and played tennis with her instead of uh, playing an hour of tennis. We went over her uh, interview for her, this high school she wants to go to. It was a really great daddy daughter moment. That's awesome. Yeah. So ask me a question. I'll tell you how she answered it. And then I'll show you how I told her to answer it. Uh, What are you most proud of? What achievement are you most proud of? Um, Probably my, Probably comedy. What? That's she didn't Georgia. answer that's, that. That's why. No, no. It's, I'm answering oh. it for me. Oh, I was confused. I thought probably you were comedy. going to give me her answers. Oh, you want me to give you her answers? Yeah. What was what is her proudest achievement? Well, she, her answer was uh, was I don't know. <laughs> so then she's really prepared. And so I said, "Well, can I tell you what I think I would be proud of if I were you?" She was what? I said choir. I said, that's a decision you made on your own to go to choir. And it forced you to get up every day an hour earlier to get ready for school. And you worked really hard. You never missed a day of school. You never missed a choir practice. And and it's something you earned that you felt really proud of earning. And you feel really proud when you go up in those choir things. And that's part of the reason you like she then she morphed it into this. Part of the reason I liked the school she wants to go to is because um, – they had a dance thing and she watched the dancing and she watched all the girls cheer for the girls dancing and she thought that kind of community that kind of support that kind of camaraderie is one something she wanted to be a part of way to go dad nice dad um but yeah so i the podcast was fucking cruising i mean you guys are gonna be pissed because we we're literally jet like we we're at the perfect part of the cigar we're at the perfect part of conversation and Tom's like, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. And I was like, dude, I have to go play tennis with my daughter. I'm so sorry. So the podcast is only like an hour and a half today. I apologize. I genuinely do. But I'm going to have Tom back. And uh, and everyone check out his podcast. Do you know the name of his podcast, Halston? It's the, it's the Tom Rhodes. I, I I have it on my podcast list, but I don't have my phone on me. Um, tour date's coming up. Uh, go to burtburtburt.com. I'm yeah. not going to bore you with tour dates. Yeah, go to uh, burtburtburt.com. Buy a shirt. Buy a, buy a shirt. Buy a mug. Yeah. Buy a poster. Uh, we're going to get back into this conversation, but real quick, I want to thank our sponsors. Starting off with a brand new sponsor, sponsor Movement Watches. Uh, it's that time of year. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and it's always hard to find something to buy someone. What Movement Watches is, is they are, uh, they are, it was founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. The watchmaker's goal is to change the way consumers think about fashion by offering high-quality, minimalist product at revolutionary prices. With over a million watches sold to customers in 160 countries around the world, Movement Watches has solidified itself as the world's fastest-growing watch company. Now, that is what you need to know. I'll tell you what I what I think is cool. I'm not like a watch guy. Like, I'm not a big watch guy. Until I have a nice watch, then I become a watch guy. Right. And I, what I like in a watch is a heavy watch. I said to Leanne, I was like, I was like, I want a movement watch. Will you pick one out for me? And Leanne picked a watch that is heavier than my Rolex. Really? Was, and, and I was like, and I love a heavy watch. I love to notice the weight of a watch. And by the way, watch wasn't more than 150 bucks. No, it was exactly 150 bucks. It was 150 bucks. And it's a beautiful, all black, sleek watch. Here's the other thing is I wear one watch 
for the whole thing. Lately, I've been wearing this one watch, this uh, Garmin running watch everywhere. And I got dressed up to go out the other night, and I thought, fuck, I don't want to wear this watch. Yeah. I didn't have any other watches. Right. And now I have this movement watch, and the other day I sized it, I put it on, I took off this other one, and oddly enough, it looks a lot like my running watch, but sleeker and nicer. It's all black. It's got the Tupac... Uh, the Tupac band, Tupac Shakur, uh, had a band on his uh, All Eyes on Me album on his right wrist, wrist that looks like that watch. It's a beautiful fucking watch. Yeah, it is good. And they have women's watches, too, and I really like the ladies' And line. sunglasses, by the way. Yep. They sell watches, bracelets, and sunglasses, and any combination of these gifts in a limited edition box. MVT and their stylists have curated an interactive guide to make Valentine's Day shopping Painless. It's MVMT. What did I just say? Movement. MVT. It's movement. It's movement. MVMT. It's pronounced movement, everybody. Yeah. But it's MVMT is how you is how you write it. That's the cool way to. But it was so nice. I looked at their thing and there's like, you know, literally, for like, a hundred bucks you can get di a different style watch. Like say you're going to a southern wedding, they got these great uh, white faced tan band. I ones. saw that. I almost bought you that. I kind of wish you had gotten me. That I one. almost. I was. I was torn between the black metal band blackface like murdered out i like the murdered out look and the southern one and but you know it's true a watch can be more than just a watch it can be an accessory to your outfit so it doesn't have to be a rolex it i hated i hated fun. that i would put on um shorts and go play tennis and a rolex i hated that did you i did you hate it? I did. You did. But now, and, and I, but I like that I can change this watch out for different occasions. I brought it with me on the road this weekend and I wore it on stage and I was like, it's so cool because when you go on stage, you look at your watch, see where you are. And I was like, ah, oh, thanks movement. That's really cool. And you know, the watch band was really easy to adjust, right? The size was really easy to adjust. Super easy. Yeah. Here's the deal. There's tons of product. Literally go to their website. You can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns, guys. This literally makes Valentine's Day painless. Go and buy your chick a watch, yeah. a bracelet. Yeah. The, it's, it's, Why don't you buy your chick a watch? Oh. With free shipping and free returns, 15% off today. Go to movement.com slash Burtcast. That's mvmt.com slash Burtcast. One more time, go to mvmt.com slash Burtcast. Join the movement. I love that. I love when they end them on a read on a good. I like a tagline. Yeah, I like a tagline. Like Burtcast. Like a rally. A better way to listen while at work. <laughs> a better way to drive a forklift. Today's podcast is also brought to you by... A guy <laughs> told me this past week. He goes, I... I, I wish I could remember what he told me. I paint houses. I'm just like that guy, but can you please say my occupation next time? <laughs> the one guy with forklift stuck with me. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. And while many people know what we do, many people don't know about what type of meals you can cook with Blue Apron. I love this fucking company. I know. We had beef stroganoff last night. Was it good? I had beef stroganoff this afternoon. Because was it good? It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, Phenomenal. Yeah. And then earlier this week, I made a uh, some kind of tubular pasta, but it was much bigger than panay. And it was uh, with ground chicken and kale, and oh. it was amazing. Put it no in the girls' lunchbox today. No burgers for dinner. You're making short rib burgers with hoppy cheese sauce on a pretzel bun. What? You're preparing 
seared steak and thyme pan sauce and mashed potatoes. What? Green beans and crispy shallots, all in under 45 minutes without a trip to the grocery store. That will be an exorbitant price. Every meal per person is under $10 per person. Every meal is under 45 minutes. The variety is through the fucking roof. It is easy. It brings your family together. It is Blue Apron. You know we love them. Stanhope makes fun of me for my Blue Apron reads. Why? Because I'm so obsessed with this fucking company. They, it, last night, we all sat and had brief stroganoff together, and I thought... This is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is what This what is why about. I signed up for a family. Yeah. This? It is. Yeah. Because we go around and do our what's your favorite thing. What's we went around the table. What's your favorite part of the day, Isla? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of the day, Georgia? What's your least favorite part of the day, Daddy? What's your least favorite part of the day, Mommy? Mommy? No one calls you Mommy. No one calls me Daddy. They call me Booby. And they call you Leanne. Or Bertangulous Boy. Bertangulous Boy. For eight weeks, Blue Acre Apron is teaming up with Whole30. Whole th- I've been What's hearing that? I'm, oh, I don't know. I do not know. Well, keep reading. No, I don't know if we're going to be told this. Oh. I think Whole30 is a movement to get you to eat healthier and you eat cleaner. Oh. You eat a lot of the bullshit. Blue Apron is teaming up with Whole30 for the next eight weeks to bring you delicious recipes. Our menu will feature two Whole30 approved recipes each week, like seared steak and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted broccolis and sweet potatoes. I am right. It's basically veggies and protein, I think. And chicken and kale, chicken and kale orange salad with a spicy tahini dressing. Kick your New Year off with a bang with Blue Apron and Whole30. Well, this is perfect because, you know, I'm doing the 21-day fix. Yeah. So then that's got to be right. And, I mean, because for me, I, I was able to modify my beef stroganoff so that it worked for the 21-day fix. But that would be awesome. I, I have to check that out. It's convenient. Every meal is delivered right to your door. You can make it in under 45 minutes or less. The menu changes every week based upon what's in season. And it's designed by their in-house culinary chefs. They offer 12 new recipes a week. And you can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what fits your schedule. They are High quality, no GMO ingredients, meats with no added hormones. They are fucking Blue Apron. You know I love them. And if you haven't, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't at least once signed up for Blue Apron. You're crazy. You're slipping. You're crazy. We eat it every other fucking night. Yeah, well, we eat it two nights a week. Well, I'm only we here, I'm only here Monday, week. Tuesday, and Wednesday. So you eat it every other night. Um, Here's the deal. Let's see what, well, let's see what menus they got coming out. Okay. Well, you already read two of them. It sound amazing. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah, that one's good. Here are the ones that aren't the whole thirty ones: spicy pork and Korean rice cakes with baby bok choy. Oh, we've made that before. It's really good. Oh, we have made that. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking ridiculous. Isla loves that one. That's so <laughs> it good. It tastes like gnocchi almost. Yes, it tastes yeah, like that gnocchi. Thing, that shit's insane. Oh, it's so good. Vegetable fried rice with tagarashani. Tagarashani. Wait a minute. Blue Apron is treating BirdCast listeners to $30 off your first order if you blue, visit blueapron.com slash BirdCast. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash BirdCast. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And I'd argue, a better way to live. You were saying you're doing the whole 30 land? No. The, I, the, I, what are you doing? I'm doing the 21-day fix from... <gasps> Beachbody. This podcast is also brought to you by Beachbody. <laughs> <laughs> Strap it's, in, guys. You know what? This is really great is we actually use every single bit of it. Yeah. All of it. I, I, this is not even a joke. 
Leanne is in the like, is in eight days into the whole uh, nine, the, the the twenty one day nine. Fix. Today's my day nine. So tell, let's tell me about the twenty. Uh, real quick, Beachbody on Demand is a sponsor of this podcast. It's an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world class workouts and personalized for your needs. Beachbody also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. Beachbody On Demand is the total package to help you become the total package this year. You're so close to being the total package. I am really almost there. You might know Payo, P90X, Insanity, T25, 3-Day Yoga Treat, or the 21-Day Fix. Tell me about the 21-Day Fix. Uh, It's pretty awesome. I'm on day nine. I've lost six pounds. In nine days. That's well, great. actually, yeah, six pounds. Um, but my jeans are looser, and I feel better. Um, I thought it would be really hard, and it hasn't been that hard. I just had to, like, set it up right, right? Once I got my... So I made fun of her at first because she's like, I can't do it now. I can't do it now. Well, my w- daddy's here. My daddy's Shut here. Shut up. In November, I was like, I'm going to do the 21-day fix after the first of the year. And he's like, this is stupid. Why don't you just start now? I said, because if I don't have it... Like, I didn't realize I what it was. start it, I'm not going to do it. But it's really easy. It's working out for 21 days. Is it convenient? And it is very convenient. Where do you find this on your uh, laptop? Or, on no, no, no. Like, how do you watch it? How do you do the workout? I have their app, On Demand app, on my phone, and I put it on my TV through Apple TV. And you do it in the living room? I do it in the living and room. And you can find that on my Insta feed every week. Every day I videotape really? you secretly and you put do? it on. You do? I do. Oh, come on. Seriously? <laughs> that's my private time. <laughs> I don't even look good. I'm no, wearing like a machine shirt. Fanta- you look fantastic. Oh, I'm and they don't much. even match my bottoms. That's no good. Well, get, get, get stuff every game next week. And what about the meals? The meals are really, actually, really easy because there is something that um, is a free uh, website called 21 Day Fix Hub. And that website has tons of recipes. So I went, like I sat down the Sunday before I started, and I planned every single day of the first week. And that's really all I had to do. Because after I did followed that first week, I'm now in my second week, I haven't even planned anything. Last I just, night when we were making our... Uh, our blue apron you, you went I can have and she pulled out a container this much of carbs yep. so give me this much it was really yeah. it's really it makes things easy it makes things really brain free if you just <clears throat> can sit down and set it up ahead of time yeah wrap your head around how big a portion is according to her to her plan literally there are 600 different workouts of all different types so you can find the one that matches your goals and like leanne said you can watch it on from your smartphone your your ipod your tablet your ipad your smart tv smart tv and uh you don't have to the beauty is that leanne's not doesn't have to schedule a class she just gets up drops girls off has her first cup of coffee and does her beach body. Well, and and the cool thing is for 21 day fix, all the workouts are only 30 minutes. And if you can't find 30 minutes, that you that you got bigger problems than needing a 21 day fix. Six pounds, 30 minutes. Six pounds, nine days. She's gonna be crushing it. She's gonna get down to two hundred and no, uh, one hundred (laughs) and seventy five pounds. Shut up. (laughs) She'd like to get down to one (laughs) fifteen. No, That's what I wouldn't like, like you to get to. No, we'd I wouldn't. Like no, that there. I never we... said I don't need to be that thin. And then she's gonna do the seventy-one day fix. Anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't look good that thin. You got to try this service. It really is fucking fantastic. I use the the weightlifting one because, quite honestly, I you know, obviously everyone knows I like running right now. So I've been running a lot on the treadmill, and then I go straight to uh, beast mode, and I and I just do. 
I do abbreviated versions of this guy's workout, but the idea that I've got his workout there for me is what I fucking base it off of. So, well, I'm going with you to Boston yeah. and I'll still be in the 21 day fix. So I'm, um, I, that's going to be cool. A cool thing to talk about when I get back is... How was it traveling? How was it traveling, yeah. Yeah. Right now, my listeners can get a free trial membership if you text BERT, B-E-R-T, to 303030. That's right. You heard me correct. You get a free trial membership when you text B-E-R-T to 303030. You get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, all the nutritional information for free. Just text BERT to 30 30 30 beach body why be fat as fuck <laughs> i don't think theirs. that's, that's their tagline that's not theirs i don't think that's theirs yet. why not be more attractive um how about this, this? why not give it a try there you go yeah. beach body give why not try. give it a try yeah give it a try why not give it a try it's free it's a free try yeah why not give it a try it's a free beach try. body why not give it a try why not <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by zip recruiter a fresh new year has begun, and if you're setting new goals for your business, it is extremely difficult to reach them without the right people on your team. And ZipRecruiter has transformed how you go about finding them. Are you hiring? Maybe. Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Are you in need of great talent but short on time? Do you get does shit get lost in huge stacks of resume to find your perfect hire? You need the right tools, smarter tools. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. God, man, I you know it's so funny. You read this copy and you forget the the beauty of this place. Is that there are so many people bored in their fucking job right now. That's true. There's so many people where they don't feel fulfilled in their job. There's guys driving forklifts right now. I'm talking <laughs> to you. Wishing they could be painters. <laughs> I don't know if he wishes. He, I, actually, he's got a pretty good job. I would love to be. Oh, I would love to get. A great I would job. love to drive a forklift. I saw a guy flip a forklift yesterday, uh, and it wasn't really a forklift. I'm really speaking in hyperbole. It was one of those things that carries boxes into Starbucks, but you drive it. It looked like a, a forklift. Dolly? It was a dolly. Oh ZipRecruiter posts your jobs to over 100 of the world's web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. Then, even then, they even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. That is why ZipRecruiter is different. Why not post a fucking resume, guys? Why not post your totally. resume for your dream job? Wasn't that Why not take this opportunity to throw a fucking Hail Mary pass and go, I've always wanted to be an editor. I've always wanted to be an animator. I've always wanted to be an ice skating instructor. Maybe that's a bad one. I probably don't have a lot of those there. This is why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of the employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So, find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BurtCast. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash BurtCast. One more time, try it for free. These are free fucking things I'm giving away. Lots of free things. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BurtCast. ZipRecruiter, it's for free. <laughs>
Those are the ads, everybody. I'm sorry it was so long. What happened was I got drunk in New York and I skipped over some ads and did the wrong ads. So I read ads for free and then didn't read them. I read the wrong ones. So we had, we were a little backlogged. Today's podcast is a burner. I call it a burner because we had some cigars in the man cave. I wasn't smoking cigars. I just posted that. No scars until my special because of my voice. But then Tom wanted a cigar and I really wanted a cigar. And I had okay. These <laughs> and, uh, and I have two shows tonight and I'm probably not drinking tonight. So I thought, you know what? You have two shows tonight? Yeah. Why? You have a show? Two. I didn't know that. Yeah, at the comedy store. Oh, well, hello. So Georgia goes, uh, I go, hey, Georgia, look, see what time my, my show is. I thought it was at 7. And she goes, nope, big boy, 8.30. You, Kevin Nealon, Joe Rogan, and starts reading off the list. I go, how do you know that? And she goes, I'm looking at Instagram. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be two amazing shows. So if, I always know if the main room's that hot, that the OR is going to be destructive. Yeah. And our sh- the show in the main room's already sold out, so that th- means the ma- OR is going to be sold out. So it, am I correct in thinking that the comedy stores had a big resurgence? <laughs> right? You'd be not only correct, you'd be blind if you didn't know that. They well, are, they are, they have, um, I'll speak very candidly, um, They a guy named Adam Mm-hmm. Uh, who, by the way, has one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Uh, you should check Adam. He get it's he's got a podcast with Ar, that he did with Ari Shafir. Mm-hmm. It's one of one of the best podcasts I've heard in 2017, and that is not hyperbole. Adam has a very fascinating um, life story. Yeah, uh, grew up yeah grew up in in LA or in the Valley maybe. And kind of got in with some bad kids, but wasn't really all that bad. Uh-huh. And got sent out to Ojai or Santa Barbara to one of those like really fucked up schools mm-hmm. where they, uh, it's almost like, it's almost like, like uh, a boarding school, but it's a boarding school, but with like, for like behavioral problem kids. Yeah. So there were stuff like times outs where they couldn't speak to anybody and no right. one could talk to them and they'd have to sit on a table until they laughed. Like it was really fucking crazy. Right. And I think, I think, by the way, I'm speaking, now I'm speaking hyperbole. Um, I think, like, they ended up killing some kids. What? And they got caught killing kids. You mean the school did? The school did, yeah. not Adam. But uh, anyway, th- anyway, th- that listen to the podcast he did with Ari Shafir. It's it's on Ari's podcast, Skeptic Tank. It is, no joke, one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Hold on. I have some questions about the comedy store, but Papa John's is at the door and Georgia won't answer the door because we're not in the house. Okay, go, So I'm going to go tell her to... I'll keep telling. Okay. Uh, okay. Tom Ro- Tom Rhodes Radio Smart Camp. Smart Camp. Um, that's the name. Of, I'll go back to Adam in the Comedy Store in a second. But uh, Tom Rhodes Radio Smart Camp. It, I talk about it. One of the best podcasts I've also ever listened to is Tom Rhodes and Doug Stanhope. This is before podcasting was around, really. Like, no one was really doing it. And Tom was doing it at the forefront. And it's an old one. You're going to have to look for it. But Tom Rhodes... And Doug Stanhope, and at the end, they're so drunk, they just end up singing a song together. And it's like the most beautiful moment in podcasting I've ever heard. He also, and I mentioned this on there, he does an interview with Kim.com. Kim.com is like this insane multi billionaire, uh, Napster fucking file sharing genius who lives in New Zealand who every government is after because he is just he just and look i can't if you know him you know him if you don't know him just google him but tom did a fucking podcast with him tom's one of those guys that is like 
He's the protégés of the Bill Hicks gener- generation. He was starting. He was an open micer, like a, a, a host and a feature when the Bill Hicks, Kinnison, all those guys were doing him. Him, Stanhope, Attell, all those guys are of the same generation. And he's one of the guys I met in New York. I'm, I'm only doing this in case you don't know who Tom Rhodes is, but he was one of the guys I met in New York that I immediately knew who he was, and I loved his style. I loved what he does. And then he took off to he took off to uh, go ahead, Liam. Do you want to ask me more questions about the podcast? No, you store? keep going. In and out. He took off to Amsterdam and got his own late night talk show in Amsterdam. Then came back to the states, started touring in the states, and missed being abroad. So he just disappeared and would go off to Kamalapur and fucking Micronesia and do shows where no one was doing comedy shows and Tom would go out there cuz he liked traveling and recently he's been traveling nonstop posting it on his, his Instagram and uh, I've been following him and so I I saw that he was in LA I texted him and I said yo man can you podcast tomorrow and he was like sure I'm going to Paris on Friday uh, wow that's yeah, really he's cool he's got a show in Paris at the Theater de Louvre Theater de la Louvre Friday it's Friday January 29th. So go check him out. Go there and tell him the machine sent you. Real quick, before we introduce the podcast, the questions you had about the comedy store, Leanne. Well, he, by the way, Tom Rose looked really great. Uh, he looks really healthy, He'll really tell you good. this in the podcast, but he quit drinking. He told me that. Uh, okay. He quit drinking a couple years ago. Yeah. He had an incident that he'll share about on the podcast. I won't I won't spoil Come it. On. But he had an incident, and uh, it woke him up, and he decided to quit doing drugs and drinking. Awesome. And uh, he looks great. Awesome. He looks really yeah, great. Yeah, he does. He looks really good. And he's really happy. Like, I mentioned that to him on the podcast, but he's really happy. Like, like really happy. He looks really grounded. You know, it's so funny. I didn't party last night. And so, and I didn't party this weekend, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to Duncan about it. I did a podcast with Duncan, if you want. That's on Duncan Podcast Family Hour. Um we were talking about not partying and how much fun it is not to party and wake up and feel good. Yeah. Um, but the problem is you just got to remember that when someone says, Bert, I got you a drink. And you're like, ah, it's Red Band. Oh, Tony Hinchcliffe's here. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. What's up, Rogan? Oh, God, we're all going to have a cocktail. Okay. And then you go, oh, fuck, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. Is that why it happens? Well, that's tonight. I'm like, tonight I'm like, I'm not going to party. But I won't party until I'm done doing stand-up. But the problem is you just get done doing stand-up and then there are a lot of really interesting people around. And you go, everyone's having a cocktail. Maybe I'll have a cocktail. And then you have a couple. And then you come over the hill and then you get here and the whole family's asleep. And you're like, I'm going to go in the man cave and get online. And you pour another cocktail and you light a cigar and then you hit a vape pen. And then next wah, thing you know, it's wah, fucking wah. eight in the morning and you're like, I don't feel like getting up. Wah, wah, wah. So the comedy store. So uh, why do you uh, what has happened that that has caused this resurgence? Adam. Adam. Okay. Well, two Who things. Who is two things, Adam two to the comedy store? Two things I would say. Adam um Is he a booker? He is the guy who books the room, okay. the club. Is he a comic? Uh no. No, he's but he's no but no, but he's uh Good at marketing? No, no. No. Excellent tap dancer. Nope. No? He is um I don't even know if Adam's ever done comedy. I wonder if he has. I don't I've never asked him. My, I'm, I always I'm very quick to talk to people. I have a hard time connecting with people. So as, even as well as I know Adam and I know him fairly well, mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about him. I heard him on that podcast with Ari and I was fucking blown away. But I don't I don't think he does. I don't think here's the thing though. He was he he worked out in Tempe. I met him there for the first time, mm-hmm. and then he he's on um, Norm McDonald's podcast. Uh-huh. So he's like Norm McDonald's sidekick, and he is very funny. 
Right. So he could very easily probably do comedy. But right now he's booking the club, and it is the best it's ever been. Another thing happened is that this guy Tommy left, and I, Tommy was the dick. I think no one liked Tommy. Wait, who was Tommy? Was he, he a was the guy? He was the guy that told me I should park cars there to get spots. And I was okay. like, I have a TV show. I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not gonna park cars. And he's like, Well, buddy, you're not gonna get here in the club. You need to park cars. You need to work the door. I was like, I've already worked doors at clubs. I'm a national headliner. I have a TV show. That's definitely not gonna happen. He's like, Well, then we'll never. Who do you think you are? And I was like, I'm talking to the wrong guy. That's who I am. And and so I never really tried to get. There were a lot of us, I think, that just kind of looked at the stores like, Oh, we're past working the door, so right. we won't work that club. Right, right. And then Adam came in and was like, No, no, no. I think good comics should work the club too. That happened. Tommy left. And then simultaneously, Ari shot his special, I think last year or a couple years ago at the store. And Rogan came down to the store for the first time to watch Ari's taping of his special. Mm -hmm. And after that, they were like, why don't you come back? And Rogan started coming back. And I think Rogan was really the champion of the store. He was the one that was fighting for all the comics. He's the one that's kind of instilled a, a family, a, a family, um, uh, atmosphere atmosphere with the comics so that we're all on the same team there's no cattiness mm -hmm. there's no bitchiness there's not one person getting all the good spots mm -hmm. there's not one person bumping no one bumps anyone i mean people bump people all the time but no one's in there b doing it to, uh, as an ego boost because i'm not saying rogan's policing it but if you're going to bump someone rogan's going to end up he's there every single night he's going to get bumped and that no one's bumping joe he and goes there every night he goes there just about i mean joe's he, I mean, his his passion for stand-up is beyond that of 98% of the comics working. Right. He is always on stage. He loves, and he's doing three shows a night there. He'll do the belly room, uh, main room, and OR, or he'll just come in and do the OR. But by the way, he's also doing Ice House and the Improv and right. the Laugh Factory. He's doing a lot of other clubs. Right. But I think his going back kind of really just invigorated that club. It gave everyone, in, everyone a reason... And I think stand-up's on a resurgence, too. That was my next question. Do you think stand-up's on a resurgence? Yeah. You yeah, do? I think it is. I mean, yeah, I think it is. I think that's one of the things that podcasting, this art form, has kind of introduced a lot of comics like Tom Rhodes to people who don't know Tom Rhodes right. who are sitting in Paris going, God, I want to see comedy. Right. I wouldn't mind seeing comedy. Right. And they're sitting in their fucking loft in Paris going, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. Right. It's, what's it called? The Art de Louvre? The Theater de Louvre? I bet if they're living there, they probably know. But Maybe. I mean, I go to when I went to uh, Australia, people knew the podcast. They right. knew the podcast. Right. And you're like, wow. That's bizarre. That's I mean, that's like bizarre to me that someone would know who I am in Australia. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. It's a, in, a, in, a, in a very positive We're way. We're talking about going to London. We have a uh, tour offer that we're, well, I don't know if we're going to do it or not. I shouldn't even said anything. Oh, well, that's what's wrong with me. I speak before I, it's also what's good about podcasts is you get a jackass like me who tells you stuff before he's supposed to, before he's supposed mm -hmm. to. Well, I think it's really cool. You know, I always, before I knew you even, I had been to the comedy store and, uh, I don't like hearing this. And I, why I could, I'm not allowed to see comedy before I know you. No, but this is when there were fucking girls in closets. Yeah, I wasn't one of them. Well, just so if, as you know. If I find out. Oh my god. If I find out. I wasn't. So I went to a show oh. there, and I thought this place is kind of a dump. Like I don't know, this is a dump. I'm never coming back here. That was years ago. Like what? They I've, haven't. By the way, they haven't changed anything. 
No. They haven't cleaned it up. But well, I don't know about that. But like the feeling, the energy of it was a dump. And then, but my, uh, but wait, no, don't laugh yet. When I was there, I was like, it's the same carpet, and it's the same. Well, I'm not talking about that. You walk in the door and it was just depressing. It was so depressing. Oh, it still looks depressing as fuck. It does? Oh, yeah. It's a dark place. It's got a dark soul. It's got a really dark soul. There used to be an old mobster's joint. It did? And so, yeah, they say it's haunted and that uh, they they used to kill people in the basement. So, yeah, it's that oh dark. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that dark soul, You, I'm glad you recognized it because it is there. But right now. Dark Souls is a great place for people to work out material. It's a tough club sometimes. That OR, it's got a window looking out on the Sunset Strip. Right. I mean, it's a fucking, you can, you know, I, I, I don't I, I don't take that place lightly. Like, when I go in, I'm, like, focused. I'm working. I don't right, drink right. on stage. Although I have drank on stage. I understand that I da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But I, I, for the most part, I, I'll bring a drink up on stage when I do my OR set. That's my last set of the night. But I don't like I don't fuck around there. It's a great, great, great club. Well, it's a great location on Sunset Strip. It's in a really great spot. It's a beautiful place, and my name is on the wall, which is so important. To I me. know we need to go take a picture of that one yeah, day. Yeah, that, that will never happen. Why? Because I'm not gonna 45 years old go out and go, hey guys, guys, guys. No, not seconds. you. Oh. Me. Oh yeah. I need to go take a picture of it. Okay. Um, well, I think that's really cool because you know. You should come with me tonight. And just leave our kids here. Push is doing a set. Just leave our kids here by Push is on the main room with me. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, Christina P., everybody. Na, 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 na. Uh, it's like Master P. Make them say, uh. Na, 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 na. Not familiar. Uh, don't know. Anyway, today's podcast is awesome. You're going to love it. I hope you guys have a beautiful day at work. I hope this podcast carries you through. I hope to see you on the road, wherever I am. No shots this year, but I will definitely sit back and have a drink with you. Uh, and if you want to bring me marijuana, definitely feel free. Oh, I thought I was going to get an objection to that, Leanne. I don't, you know, I don't know. All right. Leanne's podcast is coming out in February, February 1st? I think so, yeah. Oh, What's it called? Wife of the Party. Ah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Halston's back there. He's listened to all the episodes. He's loving it. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And if it sucks, just give it some time. It's, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely not like your podcast. It's not going to be a fucking amazing interview like mine. Well, mine's not an interview. We just yeah. have discussions. We it's just talk. good. It's so good. Far, I can't I'll... wait to listen to it. I can't wait to listen I to it. I have really good friends. Yeah. So it's just me talking to my friends. It's fun. It's going to be fun. And I, hopefully I'll be on an episode. Maybe the first one. I don't know. Maybe. Today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great week. I love you guys with all my heart. My buddy, stand-up comedian, world traveler, podcaster, soon-to-be author, Tom Rhodes. This is um, yeah, that guy was uh, who's an Atlanta comic. No, no, no. I just I read the video. Segura posted it, and I was I saw the video, and I was like, oh shit. But apparently the guy wasn't even heckling. We're on, just so you know, the guy wasn't even heckling. No, no, no. Keep can't take care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, the guy wasn't even heckling. He was just unhappy with his bill. What? Yep. He, he just should have attacked with the manager or whoever set yeah. the prices. Well, I guess I think it's one of those things. I've heard this. Uh, press it slowly and it goes on the side. I'm, I'm sure. I don't know if you've had the same, but I mean, you started out in Florida. Yeah. And I've had some uh, interesting. 
I mean, I've 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 deloused a few, yeah. and I got a thing with bullies because I had two older brothers that beat the shit out of me constantly. Yeah, and so they were stronger than me, and they could they really were sadistic torturers in yeah. their you know let's twist our little brother like a pretzel um, things. And the one thing they could never top me on was verbally and with the tongue. So I have this talent of being able to push a, a, a bully's button. I have, I and, have the and, same and make, talent. And, and I, I have, uh, it, it's come in very handy in my comedy career. Yeah. And I mean, there's a video I've got on YouTube, uh, Tom Rhodes crushing a heckler. For real? This guy in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona a couple years ago. He's, he's, you know, he, the guy wishes he was a UFC fighter. And yeah. he had like a one of those outdated affliction shirts. <laughs> and he had like barbed wire <laughs> tattooed on his left bicep. Yeah. And a uh, Maori tattoo he didn't understand on his right bicep. <laughs> and the guy was on drugs. It was a, it was a, They had interrupted the show. Uh, I had been on like 40 minutes. I was, I had chose to ignore these people. Yeah. And then like, and then the guy couldn't be ignored. And then he stands up at the, uh, you only see just this part in the video, but I felt like a matador and this is a bull. And I thought this guy, I'm going to have to fight this guy. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I like from my older brothers, I know there's a certain combination of words that if you say to a certain type of man, he's got no choice, but to punch you in the face. Yeah, it's almost like you've outwitted him mathematically, and he's like, I don't know how to... The ignorant bull who just... Yeah. I, yeah. I have no response but violence. Yep. You know? Yeah, I, I don't have... I have such a problem with uh, confrontation, it's on the side. Like, uh, yeah. But if you go slow, it pops up there. Um, I have such a problem with confrontation that when I do get to the point where it becomes a confrontation, it goes very badly, very quickly. Like I'm, I'm so nice, so nice, so nice, so nice. Yeah. And then by the time I've been, the crowd's already well past their fucking welcome for this person. Um, I had one, I had one, I had one of the worst ones. I worked with a guy, Roy Johnson, out of Tampa. We were in Atlanta at the Funny Farm, and Roy is featuring, and a guy's got a Bluetooth headset in for the whole show, and his chicks talking. Roy's at like 25 minutes and he just starts, decides on his last minute he's going to tear this guy up. Lights up this guy, calls his wife a cunt and goes, that's my time and gets off stage. Wow. And they're like, oh. and then the host is like, I don't want any part of this. Ladies and gentlemen, your headliner, Burt Kreischer, brings me out. I heard none of it. And I go, what's up, man? I go, get your Bluetooth in. Roy had already lit him up for his Bluetooth. <laughs> and by this time, the guy's like, fuck you. And it took off so aggressively. I was like, wait, what did I do? And I was so, and he goes, you don't call her a cunt. I was like, I didn't call anyone a cunt. And and then I hear Roy in the back, fuck him, fuck him. And I'm like, oh my God. It was just one of those like where you stepped in shit. But yeah, apparently that guy didn't have a problem with the comedian, wasn't getting heckled. I think he was drunk and didn't like his bill. Wow. And But that was scary. With this, and <clears throat> I got to give props to the com comedian, Stephen something. Steve Brown. Steve Brown. And, and like... The way he was like jumping back, dude, uh, and away from the guy was very skillful. Very skillful, you know, and like, and um, like he wasn't in attack mode; he was in avoid mode. And he got hit once <clears throat> on the arm. Did you see it? No, I didn't see that. Oh, I gotta show you. I just started following him on uh, Instagram, so I can pull it up pretty quickly. Wow! I uh, hope you're following me on Instagram. Of course, I am. 
You have, you have some of the best posts. Everyone, it's yours aren't ego driven posts, right? There, it's one of the few <clears throat> accounts where ego is the last thing spoken. Mine's egos. I think fucking. Well, it's funny. Like uh, I'm posting, and the last like six months have been incredible for me. I've you know, Paris, Switzerland. Um, You're going back to Paris. Mon- show, I'm, right? I'm going to. I'm going back to Paris um, uh, in a couple of days. I got a show there on the 29th. At the I don't say it. The Hore de Louvre. Theater de Louvre. The, theater de Louvre. The beautiful old theater. Like 350 seats. Really? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I can't wait. Oh, that's awesome. But um, also, I was in Shanghai. I went to Mongolia. I went to Tokyo. I thought it's, about you a lot because I did that tour in... I'm not going to be able to find this fucking thing. You were in Sydney. Um, I know... No, did they show his oh. arm? Look at Halston trying to Jamie up. No, this is his apology letter. Don't worry about this. Oh, this oh, is the fight. There we go. God damn. Yeah. Oh, grabs the mic. Then this guy. Yeah, that could have been dangerous, dude. He could have killed him. If he could have killed him, good thing that the the big heavy metal bottom part fell off when he swung. Otherwise, that could have been murder. I guess right now is when half of it's gone. But like, here's the thing: where is the security? Look at this. Nobody. Look now. Finally, somebody's coming. And I had this. I've had a couple incidences. uh, uh, Incidents. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. I remember once years ago um, at, at Rooster Tea Feathers in, in Sunnyvale, this like biker guy jumped on stage. He was drunk, oh. and he just took the microphone out of my hand. Hey, I want to tell a joke, goddammit. And like the guy told a joke. It was uncomfortable. He left, and then I was like, um, at how many stabs in the chest would it have taken for anyone in this club to approach the stage and tell the guy to to come off do you want to see do you want to see security in its finest uh, there is man, watch I, this type in it's under my youtube page it's chaos in seattle this is uh i was just at phoenix live in uh stand up live in phoenix i thought they were watch watch this we want to see a security guard fucking own a motherfucker wow watch this so, I'm getting ready to do a toast of some sort, and a fan decides... I just fallen off a waterfall, by the way, the two days before. Watch this guy. Fan decides it's his beer on stage that he'd like to drink. Look at that. Wow. Fucking hush him off. That was good. That was great, right? Is that not great? That was really good. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful interception. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that guy say I don't I don't know what the guy was planning on doing. I think he just wanted to drink the beer, but man, that guy fucking grabbed him and ushered him off stage in a matter of seconds and out the door. There was a fight in Tacoma this weekend uh, at one of my shows. Man, my the problem I think I'm running into is that people get so fucked up. Yeah, sometimes on my late shows that they they ruin their nights of exp- their night of experience. Yeah, and you're like, don't do that to yourself. Like, let your let it let it be a fun night. Like, don't fucking ruin it. What are the, do? Do you? So you think you're bringing out that big heavy boozer now? I'm like, bringing a lot of big heavy boozers. Um, hey, Bert's a fun guy. Well, what happens is it's just like uh, if I do shots, you'll think we're cool. Yeah, I think on the that, same level. I think they think that I'm like <laughs> this. 
I'm going like that. Bert's been drinking since two in the afternoon. Yeah. I'm going to fucking go as hard as Bert's going to go. And then they get out there and they, that the big problems we have on late shows, not to undersell my late show tickets, but like is, uh, people throw up and people get, get kicked out. They get way too rambunctious. They start interacting like towards the last, like last 15 minutes of my set last, I do like an hour 20 on stage. So like during the last 10, 15 minutes, People are like, uh, Tom is fat. Tell me about Tom. What's up with Rogan? What's his new compound like? Oh, that's terrible. And you're just like... Because that like, was like when... Um, the reason Steve Martin stopped performing was yeah. people would yell out, um, I'm a wild and crazy guy, and, and his catchphrases. And then Chappelle had that problem. After the Chappelle show, people would get all fucked up and go to the yeah. show just yell i'm rich bitch yeah the catchphrases well it's, it's people so that you're are, having that kind of dilemma now not as bad probably as they ever had it definitely but um but yeah it, ha it, ha it happened on the late show saturday here someone apologized to me in the audience they were like well, i'm sorry with it. it got so crazy and i was like it's fine it's totally fine and it's not like the first 45 minutes i'm doing is smooth sailing you know first hour hour first 58 minutes smooth sailing it's when the machine story when i'm getting ready to tell the machine story that shit starts unraveling and they're like once they're, they're all yelling the machine and you're just like all right i'm gonna tell it don't worry something always strange happens when we play this song <laughs> that's what uh, mick jagger said during sympathy for the devil at altamont oh. <laughs> like the guy yeah. had just gotten stabbed in the front <laughs> Something always strange. Something strange always happens when we play this song. <laughs> so now it's you, you go into the machine store. Oh. <laughs> and I guess I get not that I I mean like obviously I, you know, for anyone that listens I don't mind telling the story. I don't have I don't have a problem. If anyone wants to hear anything I want to tell, Great story. I'm fucking in. Um, but there are times where I'll meander in the story and I'll do things to inter interest myself. And I think people find that a time for like interactive. But it's not that bad. It's not as bad as Chappelle ever was. I remember, or Attell. I remember being on the road with Attell during the... Um, Insomniac period. Yeah, and girls would run up on stage and just pull their tits out. And guys would come up with sh on the stage with shots. And you'd just be like, whoa, this isn't even comedy anymore. Like, yeah. you're missing opportunity to watch one of the greatest comics do comedy. Yeah. And, but, and then I think that's why he took a step back and was like... No more insomniac. No more road. I'm in New York. I've got money. I'll be fine. I don't know. You'd know better than I would. As far as what a tell? Yeah, I think you you know him much better than I know him. I I think it was yeah. I I I saw just even on the street hanging yeah. out with a tell people coming up and everywhere. You know, dude, you gotta do a shot with me, Dave. It was like oh. everybody. It, you know, it wasn't just a picture. wasn't enough. Now the person has to have a shot with the man and yeah um you know he, it was exasperating for you him. got you dodged that bullet because you were you were a partier <laughs> but you but you weren't like the you weren't the guy that like people wanted to watch you speak well i mean i think for years i i was I'm, um, I'm, I'm referring to your drinking times well i mean i think for years i was the the party guy and yeah but but no one was like I think people, I mean, I, I, and I always enjoyed hanging out with fans. That was your, I and think me and you have that shared like, behavior. You come to my show and you're my fan. Oh my God. Hey, I'm in your town. I, I have nothing to do. Dude, I'm not married. That's exactly. I, you know, and I, like, let's hang out all night. And many times I, people go, you want to come over? I'm like, yeah, why not? 
That's yeah. and it, but even now I like I like I like to hang out with people who are my fans and um it it's it it's so easy to affect someone's life for the better. Yeah. When someone just loves you, they've been a fan for years to I mean even just spending 10 15 minutes talking with them after the show um it means a lot to people. I mean, I remember when I was a fan and I remember... Dude, I feel like I'm to, talking to myself right now. You know, I remember, and that's the thing. I remember, like, I always return emails when uh, fans write me because when I was a teenager, I used to write Eddie Murphy. Uh, I used to write David Letterman. Uh, and, and I remember it would have meant the world to me had they written me back. Yeah. Just one sentence. Hey, thanks, kid. You're 17. You want to be a comedian. I say, go for it, Tom Rhodes. Or we you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like anything. See, I came at it as a fan too, obviously. I think I was a fan of yours before I was a friend of yours. But like, I've always was a fan too. I remember the night, and I, and I say this in a, as a smaller thing, but I remember the night I hung out with you at the Bag of Dan and drank. And, and <laughs> I, I go, and for me, but for me, I, I, I still don't, that's not lost on me. Like, I won't, I won't do shots anymore. I told everyone no more shots. Because I was like, this, this is no purpose in a shot. I don't see the purpose in it. I don't need to be that fucked up. And I'm the one that has to deal with it in the morning. But I go, if you want to hang out, don't buy me a drink. I get them for free. Come grab yeah. yourself a drink and post up next to me. I'll talk about whatever. You want to talk about podcasting? I listen to podcasts. You want to talk about comedy? I love comedy. What do you want to talk about? I will totally talk about anything. And to the point where I'm like, where I go, I, th I think it's because I'm a fan first, comic second. Like, I, I didn't get into comedy going, I have something beautiful to give the world. I, I think I, I felt very lucky that I could figure out how to do comedy and figure out how to get laughs. I don't, you know, and, and I think some people go, no, 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 no. This was, this was my calling. Leave me alone. I do what I do on stage. I don't want to speak to you, which is totally fine. It's yeah. just not my approach. I Do those people exist? Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, like that that story when you when you when you and I met and you were like, um, you want to be a comedian and I said, uh, if what was it if if you buy me a drink I'll tell you everything I know. I mean, it's, <laughs> buy me a beer and I'll tell you everything I need to. You aside need to know about, from everything I know about comedy, aside from like meeting fans and stuff, like if it's a young comedian, oh yeah, who like is a fan, like I. Uh, I, I I would have told you everything I knew had you not bought me the beer, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also I think Stanhope said that one time. You don't pay for a comedy class; just find me at a bar. Exactly. You don't even need to buy me a drink; just that's, sit next to me. Yeah, I'll tell you. I, I love talking about comedy, um, but but I think that that's one of those things that I, I that is lost on a lot of younger uh, younger comedians or or maybe people who get successful really quick, really young. They feel like. It's it's almost like an I, I see it as an arrogance sometimes of like, yeah, this is what I do, and then I, I go, yeah, but you, you haven't done it that long, yeah. Like I don't know where that comes from. No, and I hate like you know, like um, young arrogant comedians who um, they think they know it all, and then also they don't watch other comedians, yeah. Because and especially if you're on the same sh if you're on the same show with somebody, just out of respect, yeah, you should watch everyone on the bill. See what they're doing. I mean, you where do you have watch, to go? You should watch people. Uh, the reason I watch comics is I want to know if I'm writing exactly the same as them or different. Yeah. Like, it's very helpful. Uh, Rogan one time said, hey, just so you know, you have a similar joke as this other guy. And then I was like, oh, thanks. I was like, I, I was like, they're a little different, but they're close enough where I got to drop it. Thank you. And so 
I started going like, yeah, so I watched Cigar Special. I, if I hadn't, I would have delivered within my first eight minutes of my special, one of the punchlines he delivers at like 10 minutes into his special. And I would have been like, oh my God. People would be like, oh, he's doing his act. Because we're so, such good friends. That's true. I mean, so, you, you got to be aware of what people are doing. Uh, on, on Pat Oswalt's new special, he opens with kind of the same thing Mark Maron opened on his thing about Trump and Twitter and like, I'm afraid to look at it. And like, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. I mean, it's not the exact same joke. But it's but, close enough that but it's if the, it was yours, you'd be like, I'm probably going to drop it. I, I I wouldn't have opened my special with it if I yeah. had seen it. And I, I think Patton is one of the greatest. I love He's, Patton. He really is fantastic. I, and I love Maron. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But just to say, you know, you and, and I, I, I like watching um, young comedians and I like watching open mic nights like to know what not to do yeah one of the greatest books i ever read is miles miles davis's autobiography yeah and he says um um it's 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 not important the notes that you play it's important the notes that you don't play yeah so you're gonna be up there like doing some hack shit and think oh my god this is so brilliant yeah it's you it's know? sometimes and i think another thing people do is they forget that uh all your ideas come from something else and so sometimes you have an idea that came straight out of someone else's special and you just forgot that you didn't think of it and you plug it in and then you're like i know you saw that special too i don't think you stole it but i think it's parallel thought after you had heard someone and so i think it's important to kind of go through i'm going through tomorrow i'm going to go through and watch a bunch of specials and just to make sure that the hour i'm working on is is different i think i think it's also you know, you're probably one of the best at this, but you write jokes a lot of times, and I could be wrong, and you might see this differently. You write jokes that no one else could write. Does that make sense? I, I that that's the best compliment you could give me. Like you're like I, I strive for that. And when I when I write, I was telling this to this comic I was working with this weekend. And he was like, oh, I don't know, I got this joke about this, this, this. And I was like, I was like, well, you should really be working on it. And you got, he was only four years in. I was like, keep writing those jokes. You're going to have to write those jokes. You're going to have to go through all those jokes. That's part of the process of learning how to write, learning how to get through this. But I said, try to get to a place. I use you, Stanhope, um, and, uh, and, and Atel's not a good example. because I'm not saying, but Atel ha runs the risk sometimes. He goes, does anyone have this joke? You don't really run that risk. And I, tr I think with my good jokes, I don't run that risk either. Like we, we're, when my really good material, I go, oh, no one's writing that. I don't think I have to worry about that. It's so authentically me, you know? And I think to go back to what we were saying at the very beginning, when I met you as a fan, it wasn't that, it wasn't that I, it wasn't so much that I loved your stand-up. I did, obviously. But it was that, once again, it was like, this is someone who's making it tangible. He was from Florida. Like, I'm from Florida. I didn't think Florida guys could do stand-up. The only other guy I knew from Florida was Todd Barron. I was like, I can't do what he does. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that guy. <laughs> but I was like, oh. And then the fact that you gave me time, I was like, I would give someone time. You know, I think that that's lost on some comedians where they go, yeah. I'm doing things great. Like, uh, they'll brag about what the type of joke they write. And you're like, yeah, but everyone, anyone can write that joke. You're missing the point of it. Well, you know who I, I learned that from? I mean, I think also I've been a nice guy. Um, which you've been, a, you've been, I would say you are, 
you and I are in the same category. I don't think a lot of people have a lot of shit to talk about us. We're yeah, just yeah, really yeah. good guys. I, I think being a nice guy goes a really long way in this it really business. really does. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Oh. Is uh, a, a big factor is in comedy is if people want you around. If you're a fucking asshole and you talk down to people or you're a jerk to the staff or other comedians, the uh, the the people usually don't want you back. No. But um, Bill Hicks, when I was a young comedian, um, was always wonderful and had all the time in the world for me yeah. to, to ask him questions. And um, I uh, 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 that always astonished me about... Uh, about Bill Hicks and one thing that's often not talked about him is how he really loved other comedians and even if you were a young comedian he kind of felt like you were in the same fraternity yeah and um Joe Joe's like that a lot I really respect that above uh uh, I mean I I put that right up there with talent and I, I I hate when you see comedians who don't feel that way you know I think it's it's so funny because uh, I th- I think when I was younger, I was oblivious to it. And then I got, like, when I was younger, I was oblivious. I was happy that anyone would speak to me. Then you get to a place where you're like, you see, like, younger comics leapfrog you and you go, oh, fuck that guy. Then you get to a place where you're like, oh, they f- they're back where they had to start. Everyone gets to the same place. Yeah. We, all, we all have the same base. How good your base is determines how good you are as a comic. We're all going to fucking have our one year, two years where we blow it out of the water and then we're all going to go right back down. We're going to tour. Our numbers, you're going to get that phone call from your agent. Listen, uh, numbers weren't that great last year. They want to offer you a little less. Are you willing to take it? And you got to go, that's okay. Yeah, that's what, this is what I do. I'm rebuilding. And uh, oh, I'm going back to clubs. I did theaters. Now I'm going back to clubs. Oh, okay, I'm going back to B clubs. And I think that some of those people think it'll never happen to them. But I think the older we are in the business, you start going... No, this is the this is the the cycle. It's just like uh, just like with forests. Sometimes they got to burn to the ground to rebuild. You know, Patrice was the one that told me that. He was like, when I got my first deal, he was like, he's like, I feel bad for you because you don't know what your base is yet. But when you find it, realize that's just where you should be right now. And I was like, I remember going, oh, he's just jealous. And then when all the TV went away, I was like, oh, I, I should have listened. <laughs> ha. I heard Patrice say one time. Um, and his elephant, and I loved Patrice. Dude. I got to, at the Edinburgh Festival years ago, I got to share an apartment with Patrice for like two weeks. Um, I would and then, pay and, money and to be a fly on that wall. It was so great because, you know, um, he's making fried chicken and all this wonderful food. Yeah. And it, it, it was really like having a southern kitchen while I was in... Um, Scotland, uh, yeah. and it was it was great. Um, he he he. That was, so I shared an apartment with him for a month in Scotland too. Yeah, probably the year before or after, two years before or after. And uh, I remember he went shopping, and he like bought all this stuff: blood pudding and eggs. <laughs> he taught me how to make an omelet, but he would make he would. I, was, I remember going like, "Let's go out to eat," and he's like, "No," and he would make a meal all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he was cooking every day. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, and he, I didn't have to pay for food. It was great. But I heard him say one time about, uh, I don't want to be, I don't want millions of fans. I want 100,000 hardcore fans who are going to buy everything I put out and support me. And I was like, wow, that's, 
That's a, I never thought of it that way. Oh, you know? yeah. That's a, Just but, to have 100,000 people who love you so much, they'll come and see you when you're in their town. They'll buy your new album. Yeah. I remember hearing one time you needed 2,500 fan, 2, fans to make a living. They're like, if you have 2,500 fans, 2,500 legit fans, you can make a living a stand-up. And I was like, okay. And then when I wrote my book, I sold my book. I sold like 1,200 copies. I was like, fuck, I can't make a living in stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> that first week, I was like... When did your book come out? It was a while ago, 2009, maybe nine. No, because no, no, I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to... I'm, I, I've been working on a book for like seven years now, and I'm trying to... I want to get it published this year. Okay. Have you talked to Fitzsimmons about it? No. Fitzsimmons is probably the best insight I've ever had. Um I went the route of getting it published. Now I know now I know the guy that published my book listens to my podcast, Yaniv, great guy, mm -hmm. was an amazing guy, amazingly helpful in the process. Um but ultimately it just it's it's almost like you got to have a hit record in order to make money. But I think the way Fitzsimmons yeah, people got to know who you are to you, buy the it's, the book. And it can leapfrog you like Chelsea. Like, it can leapfrog you into the next thing. I think Doug. she had that TV show. No. She, her first book, My Horizontal Life, yeah, was like, came out and no one really bought it. By the way, I'm, I'm guessing because I, I think I'm knowing the story. I don't know if I really know the story. No one really bought it, but Leno loved her. So he had her on, like, all the time. And she would promote the book through Leno. Hmm. And she had a few good appearances, and all of a sudden it became a bestseller. And then that leapfrogged her. So, like, there is something to be said for having, like, a traditional publisher, but Fitzsimmons went the other publishing route, and I think he made a lot more money on it. And so... What do you I mean the other publishing route? Well, I think he self-published it mm. and owned all... And owned all of it. Like, he owned all of the, like... So, I think he made more money, and he did an audiobook, which I would have... If I had been smart, if I had self-published it or not signed a deal for the audiobook, I would have made a lot of money. The audiobook, my audiobook outsold Corolla's audiobook. It was like one of the bigger audiobooks when it, when it came out. And it's because I couldn't read out loud. So I fucked up through the entire thing. Why couldn't you read out loud? I have a hard time reading. I'm a little dyslexic. What? So the whole time I would just fucking ruin sentences and then reread them and then curse and yell oh, and shit. fucking throw well, pages. That, that's a funny audiobook. It's a funnier audiobook <laughs> than it is book. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad said to me, God damn it. I was a motherfucker. motherfucker. Who wrote this goddamn fucking book? I'm a fucking idiot. Like, and so, but, uh, but Fitzsimmons is a good one to talk to with that. But you're, you're someone like Stanhope where I go, yeah, I'm dying to read your book. Like as soon as Stanhope puts out a book, I go, I'm in. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm buying it. It's great. All my best stories travel in the world and all these epic things that have happened to me. The, the, the problem is I've already written the first draft. But it's just so much that I'm trying to um, to whittle it down. And I got a few friends helping me and um, uh, uh, writers, you know. A good friend of mine won the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago, Gilbert King, um, who I've known for years. I, and Mishka Shalubi. Has been I know Mishka. Giving me um, some, some just advice about how to... Um, Mishka wrote a great book. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. And... Uh, so just about finding what's the story to to guide your 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 ship of your plot. Do you find do you find your artistic spirit has awoken, stayed the same, 
or shifted since you stopped boozing? I feel like I'm a different person, and uh, it's uh, not to bring up Miles Davis again. The the remarkable thing about Miles Davis was um, he changed his style completely like nine times in his career. Yeah. Uh, I'm not comparing myself to Miles Davis, but it just popped into my head. Fair comparison. Um, I feel like I'm a different person because, you know, uh, I had. I had long hair for 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 like ten years, and then when I moved back from Europe, I, I was wearing tailored suits and yeah. glasses. Uh, always been a heavy partier, life of the party, and uh, you know I busted my head open in Philadelphia and decided to stop drinking and uh, and doing drugs. And uh, I I just feel like uh, it's interesting going through this book and all that I've done and different like you know wild man episodes and 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 different things that were happening in my life um uh i i just think that i'm at a at a at a higher plateau you seem um happier like in just and i'm yeah. talking through your instagram when i see your instagram you feel you look like you're living you look like you got this sounds so silly you look in your instagram videos that you post you you're like a guy that got out of prison does that make sense well i tell that's a, that does make makes a lot of sense i mean i feel like you know i love my wife she's amazing yeah you guys have and a great relationship so uh so i i've gotten a lot of confusion out of my life uh you know and you're single and you're whatever and you're you know and all this and then as a comedian and you're traveling um it, she's artistic she's a photographer and we both love books and knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm making these knowledge nugget videos, yeah. which all things comedy, I'm going to, um, we're going to start, uh, I'm going to make some animated versions of these knowledge nuggets. Oh, that's great. Uh, I really get, and like, I really get off on traveling to different countries and learning. You really love that though. I, that's one, that, that, that's like, like performing the fact that I stopped drinking and, 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 and doing hard drugs. Now I got back to where I was when I was 17 years old, when I started doing comedy, where like comedy's the drug. Yeah. We're just being on stage and like, you know, uh, performing jokes that I've written is the drug. But also, uh, one of the things that one of my strongest narcotics is to travel to different countries and like study, like, I'm I'm obsessed with the French revolution right now. So before I went to Mongolia, uh, I read Genghis Khan's biography. So I, so I got all these great facts about Genghis Khan. Like, um, I opened the show in, in Mongolia. Uh, apparently everyone in the world is somehow related to Genghis Khan. So I'm just here to to visit family. Hello cousins. (laughs) And just great stuff. And then I, I, I told him I, I had just finished reading the biography of Genghis Khan and under the Genghis Khan's rule, uh, no individual was ever held responsible for a mistake or an error. It was always the community as a whole's responsibility. So if this show doesn't go well tonight, it's all of our fault, <laughs> you know? So like, just like, and, and then, you know, I was in Tokyo before that. I've been obsessed with samurai warriors my whole life. So I got lots of and stuff about samurai and just just uh like if you, if you i think you've been to my my house i've got you know over two thousand books I, yeah you're I, a book. I love reading you know i wish i loved reading 
Well, it's great. And then, like, people always go, man, the traveling must be so difficult. And that's my favorite thing about the time flies for me on airplanes because I'm sitting there knocking out a book while I'm waiting for the flight or sitting on the, you know, 13-hour flight to Asia or something. Were you like that in high school? I, I think it started in high school. Really? It was after. I think it was because I didn't go to university. That's why I started reading so ferociously. Yeah. Because I... I didn't want I didn't want my friends that I grew up with to to grow further than me and then all a lot of these good friends of mine who went to university after they got out of university they never read ever again because they like hated reading and looked at it like a chore and, and you looked at it as I love it like I I lived in San Francisco for 7 years the um City Lights bookstore I refer to that as the university bookstore of my life. Really? Uh, there's so many great bookstores, and uh, I love going to used bookstores. There's a place in Vancouver called McLeod's, yeah. which is amazing. My favorite bookstore in the world is in Galway, Ireland. It's called Charlie Burns. And like just, just you go in and spend like $100. Uh, every, every time I go there, I'll spend like 100 euros. Really? And like the books I buy there will will fuel me for like the next year, you know? I wish I could. I wonder if it's because I, I think I need glasses, but I sit to read a book and I I find it a lot like a warm blanket. If I'm on the road and I'm like not boozing, which has as of like I'm getting ready for this hour, so it's been a lot lately, I find myself going like, oh, I'm re- I, I started a documentary or I'm... I got a I got a book. I, I read a stupid book, but um, I wanted to read a book when I was in. I wanted to read a book about imperialism, about because I know that that's like, and I, I know you know this, but like one of the things that a lot of British comics talk about is uh, how imperialistic the British Empire was. Yeah, uh, Steve Hughes always kept saying it's imperialism, mate. I don't understand the racist. They don't even know it. They think they're better than them. And, yeah. and uh, I wanted to read a book about imperialism, and I got this big, thick book about the British Empire, and I started reading it, and I just, my brain swims, and I get overwhelmed, and I just start daydreaming. And then I'm like, I'm not even fucking reading. I might as well put the book down and just daydream. <laughs> well, I mean, it happens to me. If, I, if a book doesn't grab me in the first 30 pages, I'll put it down. Really? I mean, it, it might not be your fault. It might be the, the writer. If, I'm sure I, like, I don't Jesus, have any place. This, this book I'm reading now on the French Revolution... Uh, it's in my 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 bag. It's it's called Paris and the Terrors, and uh, Stanley Loomis, I think, is the, and it's it's like basically three chapters. The first is the assassination of Marat. So and, wait, so do, I don't know if you can or if you want to, but give me. I don't really know anything about the French Revolution. Um. Yeah. The, how would you How would you surmise it for a dummy? Does it have anything to do with the Renaissance? It, it was the 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 writers um, um, Voltaire and Rousseau had written books in the Enlightenment. People started to realize that you know there had been kings and emperors, and the Catholic Church ran everything, and people started to realize you know hey man. Those people aren't fucking special. They're just human beings. And I have a dick, and that guy poops just like everybody. And and people started talking and realizing, hey, why do we got to give money to the priest to get to heaven? And maybe there isn't a heaven. And people, that's the enlightenment. People yeah. started to, 
you know. What year is this? Is this like 1600s? Ah, uh, this is the 1700s. So, God, the, that's well, I mean, it started like thinking. It, yeah. I mean, it's the, it starts in the 1600s, and then uh, it, the the wheels started coming off the uh, the vehicle in the 1700s, and the the French Revolution started out with noble uh, ideas, and then there were bloodthirsty thugs like Marat and uh, who stirred up the crowd and brought all these like gutter people who were murderers and were were raping women and and killing people and stealing things and the French Revolution turned really ugly is that is that Marie Antoinette or is that yeah that's yeah yeah, it was her husband was um, Louis the 16th yeah and um, the they were, you know, guillotined. Uh, but even the the players who got the French Revolution French Revolution rolling, they ended up getting their head. Well, this the guy Marat was stabbed to death in his bathtub by this woman Charlotte Corday from Cannes, France, in the north, I from Normandy. Cannes. Yeah, and she had never been to Paris before. This young nineteen year old girl got it in her head that this guy was screwing up, and she was correct. Yeah, uh, and she had read all these things about Rome and the ancient Greeks, and she saw herself as the person who probably should go straighten this out. And then she went. So there's this party, the Girondin party, and they all had to flee. They were in charge when the French Revolution started, and so uh, they started getting their heads cut off. Uh, Marat had his own newspaper, and he's writing all this shit. And he had a terrible skin disease. He had to, to bathe in this copper pot every day for relief from his lesions and boils. Oh, my God. Really terrible human being. So there's a famous painting by David, and he's sitting in... Well, hand me my bag. There, Because uh, my bookmark I'm using is the... I always thought it was a really curious painting. And so Marat is... He's in this bathtub, and... He's got his uh, a paper and a pen in his hand, and I thought, always thought, well, the guy must have been writing a letter or something. But yeah. Charlotte Corday, so the Girondines had fled to Cannes, so she was turned away the first day by Marat's people, and the second day she came and said, "I have information on the Girondines in Cannes," and he said, "Let her in." And he got a pen and a piece of paper and said, I'll have them all guillotined by the end of the week. And uh, that's when she stuck a butcher knife in his chest and murdered him. And she was just this, you know, 19 year old noble girl from Cannes who thought that these bad people had taken over the idealism of what the French Revolution should have been about. And she was correct. And what happened to her? She was guillotined. They loved cutting people's fucking heads off. And it's interesting reading. It's re- interesting reading about the French Revolution now because, like, you think, wow, um, it's, it's funny to think that people who could differ politically would feel so strongly that they would cut the other people's heads off. And uh, you look at the climate that our country's in now, and it's like, yeah, I can easily see if you know circumstances were right. Yeah, yeah, fuck all those people in that party. Let's cut off all their heads. Well, there was the, there's a there's a French or a, a Canadian author, Margot Tibet. I don't know her name, but she got in a lot of hot water for um, saying that what's going on with the Me Too movement. It's the, is, in, it's the intelligent Price is Right. 
<laughs> by the way, that book would pass right by me because of the cover. I'd be like, oh, there's nothing in there I want to read. <laughs> I'd yeah, flip through, I'd go, no pictures? Can I say one last thing? I'm reading yeah. about Danton now. Yeah. He was a... Um, uh, you would love Danton. He was a guy like... Uh, really forceful guy like uh really great leader I, I i think you might uh identify with him but he was ultimately sent to the guillotine also and when he stepped onto the platform uh of the guillotine he told the executioner be sure to hold my head up for the people it's well worth seeing oh yes that's I, yes. i'm sure that's a book out well, if there you get, if, you're, if you're gonna if you're gonna be get your head cut off you got to say something cool when you get up on the platform. There should be a book. I'm sure it's out there. Famous last words. I'm sure. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it's out there. But uh, one of my favorite uh, a- a- executions ever, and I've only seen a few. I've only seen this one, maybe. I take that. I must be. I, but out of all the executions is uh, Saddam Hussein's. He didn't say a fucking word. Hmm. Just walked in, killed him. I was like, and I remember thinking when I saw that, I was like, I was like, I would not have handled it that way. I would have been like, I guess we'll never find out where the treasure is. <laughs> uh, fine, uh, fine. I'll suck all your dicks. I'll suck everyone's dick. I'll suck all your dicks. I don't care. Just keep me in a box and put dicks in my mouth. I want to be alive. <laughs> I would have uh, fucking panicked. Oh, that's hilarious. This you is David Tell's favorite part of the podcast when the chickens lay an egg. He goes, I feel like I'm in a Guatemalan village doing a podcast <laughs> it's it's I, I i i like guatemalan villages that's nice <laughs> but uh, uh did did could uh, because you you're you grew up in florida also um i'll never forget i was in i think i was in eighth grade or seventh grade at jackson heights middle school in oviedo florida yeah when ted bundy was executed yeah they made an announcement over the intercom uh the principal made an announcement that the state of Florida had just executed Ted Bundy. Yeah. And we were 12 years old, and the whole school clapped. Yeah. And I, I've always... I don't know if that happened at your school, but uh, I always thought that was really interesting that they interrupted a day of children learning to announce that the state I, I, had I just remember, executed I remember definitely him. they were talking about on the radio going into school, and they were like... I want to say they did something at our school, like turn the lights on and off, like power shortage. Well, like which is probably ten times more distasteful than just announcing. <laughs> I remember where I was when the shuttle blew up. Oh, I remember that. The, yeah, I remember. I remember being outside Mrs. Bono's class. She's our Latin teacher. She used to sell nachos on the side for a dollar. You could get a nachos. It's probably like twenty five cents now. That I look back, what probably went a dollar, but like twenty five cents you could get nachos. So it, it this at like our like. M- Three periods in, we'd have an intermission, and she'd open her class door and have a nacho stand sitting out her class door, and everyone would buy Bonos nachos. And uh, I remember waiting in line for nachos, and they're like, the, they're like, the shuttle just blew up. And then she opened her thing, she had a TV, and she turned on the TV, and everyone sat in her class wow. and watched, and then and being like, whoa. That was 87, right? No. Had to be 80, had to be 84, 85. When the shuttle blew up. Yeah, it had to be. No, I think it was... Because I was out of school. I was in sixth grade, seventh grade. No no older. Are you looking it up, Halston? Yeah. What is it, Halston? Because because, um, I I had gotten out of high school, and I remember I was staying with a friend on his couch in Queens, and I I saw it on television. No. You're not that... You're only like four years older than me. No, no. 
86. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because I graduated high school in 85. So it was one of my first trips to New York City. I must have been in eighth grade. And I'm staying with um, my friend Gil King, who I mentioned earlier, the Pulitzer Prize winner. Staying on his couch in Woodside, Queens. And I took the subway into the city, and I couldn't believe everybody was acting like it was a normal day. I just, I was like, I'm looking around like, my God, don't these people realize that the space shuttle blew up? It was so, so it was space these people have died. A, and like, was, I mean, we're such a big deal to us. Where, where I grew up in Florida, in Oviedo, you could see the space shuttle go up in the distance. Yeah. Oh, so, anytime the space so, shuttle went, we got, I went out, got out of so class. So the, they would let everyone in the school out, and we would all go sit on the grass or stand out on the, you know, uh, in, you know, on the grass. And we, we, you could see it go up in the distance, the, the, the smoke cloud. And I always thought that was like such a cool thing about growing up in Central Florida. Yeah. To, to see the space shuttle grow up. So uh, it was a huge event. And I mean, I remember like, you know, I always knew the, the astronauts' names and things like that. Yeah. Like when I first went to Holland, um, I had him on my late night talk show and I became friends with Wubu Okels, who was the first Dutchman in space. And I remember the first woman in space and the first uh, African-American in space. And all this, this was like, this was a big deal yeah. growing up in Florida. So... It just blew me away that these people on the subway weren't crying or something. Oh, Krista McAuliffe. Yeah. That was the teacher who they sent up in space. And I remember that was that was the first, that was the person that you'd all the jokes were about because uh, you'd hear jokes about the space shuttle after that. Everyone had every class had the jokes. I can't remember them now. Well, I remember when I went back to Florida right after that. I remember um a club owner saying to the comedians, if any of you make a joke about the space shuttle, you'll never work here again. Really? And I've always thought about that in different times when a tragedy or something will happen. And there's always one little snarky asshole who thinks, you know, well, it's my right as a comedian to make a joke about whatever I want. Yeah. Which is true. But, you know, uh, certain places, I was in Las Vegas right after that um, shooting? that mass shooting. Really? And uh, I was playing at the MGM like a block from where it happened and you know just out of being classy and or having a human having yeah. having good manners um did, did why bring up something that you know is going to upset everyone i have a joke um i don't have it like i, I can't figure out if i'm going to use it or not i have a joke about 9-11 which i think enough times pass where you could theoretically tell in my head i was like you can tell yeah. a joke about 9-11 but i was performing in uh governors in long island last two like two weeks ago on a wednesday and i got to the j place where i'd say that joke and i went nah yeah because they their family members are still dead yeah they're but people <laughs> probably uh, lost family members yeah i'm right? sure they're i'm sure they're gotten over the 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 initial uh mourning i'm sure they're okay they're they're dealing with it but i don't think they i don't think that's what they want to hear in my show tonight it's so funny one of my buddies uh, the buddy who's producing my special was like mentioned to me there's a couple jokes i don't think you know what they sound like and i was like really he was like yeah he's like you know you're making fun of deaf people a lot i was like am i really he was like i mean just more than i think you would normally make fun of deaf people and he goes it just seems really anti-deaf in your act i went hold on and i love deaf people i mean meaning like from a comedy standpoint making a deaf person laugh is so much more enjoyable because they don't know what they sound like so it's a real unbridled laughter so I don't. I would never want to mock that. I've had the opportunity where a deaf couple were fans of my TV show came to my show, and I got them laughing, and we ended up going out and having pizzas at Luminati's the next day, and 
and I was like, oh, so I had this joke, but it, you know, you, you ever, it's like you tell a joke, you get so close to the forest, you, re, you don't realize what, what it is anymore. The, the nuance of it that made it work the first couple times is lost on you, and you just go to the thing that you thought was the hammer, you know? And, and so he made me rethink it, and I was like, okay, I'll work on that this weekend. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even see that happening. But yeah, I, 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 I veered from that 9-11 joke just because of that, because I was like, and then part of me was like, well, if you do that there, maybe you shouldn't do that on your special. Maybe like, maybe they're going to watch it too. Maybe like, I'm not that guy. I'm not Doug, you know? Yeah. I don't, I like, I, I, I love what Doug does. I love watching Doug do Stanhope, but I'm not him. And I don't like, I don't like the shrapnel that Doug does not notice. Like Doug can say a joke. Someone gets upset and he's like, huh? I don't, I doesn't register to me. Yeah. You know, I'm way too sensitive. I go, I really didn't mean for you to have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't know. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like I had a a, a joke that that um, that ended with it, it was basically a pro uh, Black Lives Matter joke, mm-hmm. and I thought some racist people might misconstrue the meaning of it. Yeah. So I stopped doing it. You oh, know. Oh. But oh. the my whole point was that we should start, and I spoke the words that we should prosecute. Uh, these cops who keep killing unarmed black people. Yeah. And so I, but, but still, and that was the point of the joke, even though there was, you know, some silliness about condiments to set it up. Um, <laughs> but I stopped doing it. Yeah. I had a joke <clears throat> where the, uh, um, uh, go ahead. I don't want the good people to think I'm one of the bad people. I, 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 it's, I, that is exactly what I try to avoid. Cause I go, not that, not that I care about like, it's just, it's like, I'm not doing my job properly and I, and I'm not, and I'll, I'll work it out. I'll figure it out, but I'm not going to figure it out in that time frame. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it off the, I'm going to pull it off the fire for a little bit. It's not ready to serve. Like I had a joke about, um, that about me and this black guy in a airport bar and a Middle Eastern guy walks in and then the black guy says to me, I hope that motherfucker's not on my plane. And then my joke, my joke was, it's a true story and it was true feelings, true sentiment. But my joke was, like, how does he, like, he's being racist to me, like with me. How does he know my racism stops at Middle Eastern people? Like, if I'm white and I am racist, which he assumes I am. Right. Then wouldn't I hate everybody? Like, I'm white. Like, I'd hate across the board. And this one guy came up to me and was like, hey, man, my racism doesn't stop at Middle Easterns either. And I was like, that's not what I'm saying. Like I'm saying, oh, never mind. Yeah, good call. <laughs> so I had to rework it nine different ways. But then at the end, I was just like, it ultimately turned into the fact that this guy was being a racist and I complied. So then in 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 actuality, I guess I'm racist too. We're all racist. But I and so I just kind of was like, you know what? I'll figure it out one day. It's just not right now. You know, everything's so fucking volatile. Yeah. I, st- I mean, I don't even talk. I t- I take that back. I probably talk about the Me Too thing every time I'm on stage. I mentioned something about it. But uh, but like, I it's it's like a it's almost like an impulse. Like I can't, I can't stop. Like I get to this point where I have this I have this this fucking hacky bit, but I say it, and then I and then I just go, I just end up talking about Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I can't help it. I think I think sometimes. What do you tell me? What you think about this thought? I had a part in a joke where I'd say. Uh, the teacher was hot as shit. 
he definitely worked out and everyone laughed because it's obviously and then i i had to stop saying it because in my head i thought we're never going to have true progress until that's not humorous it shouldn't be humorous that a guy's gay and i know that i it shouldn't be this shouldn't be funny that a guy's gay like that's not funny it's just guy's life but i'm saying it and it's getting a laugh so i'm forwarding the concept that it's silly that a guy would sleep with another man and so i had to stop saying it it bothered me that i would say it and it would get a laugh because I go, true progress is when I go, he really worked out and he definitely worked out. And everyone's like, oh, did he? <laughs> like, that's true progress. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You might be overthinking it. Because um, I had a great joke about um, samurai in Japan. That uh, I, and, 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 I, and one of my favorite books uh, is Hagakure, the, the Way of the Samurai. Yeah, it was written in like the 13th century. It's these ancient, um, like one. In the words of the ancients, one should make every decision within the space of seven breaths. Think about that. One, two, seven breaths is a long time. You should make every decision in the space of seven breaths. When white, when writing a letter. One should imagine that the recipient will hang the letter as a hanging scroll. These were things written in the 13th century of how a samurai should conduct himself. I uh, love that. A person of little merit goes around making trouble with all. A person who is settled, uh, I forget exactly what it is, but I always love, a person of little merit goes around making trouble with all. Um, but anyway, in, uh, so I talked about like in Japan, how much I loved The Way of the Samurai, this book, Hagakure. And then while I was in Japan, I learned all these new things about samurais that I never knew. Samurai would test their swords by cutting people in half. They often randomly killed people for fun. Really? They would shoot dogs with arrows for sport. Um, it was... A lot of samurai had sex with young men and it was encouraged a lot of the older samurai would mentor young samurai and uh it was uh not only allowed it was encouraged that they had sex with the the young men that they mentored an important word in samurai is seppuku you probably heard of it uh that's the act of if a samurai felt that he had done something shameful or made a mistake, he would commit suicide by plunging his own sword into his stomach and killing himself. Yeah. I love gay people, but they can be so dramatic sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's great. So that's like, great. <clears throat> you know, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that I, I think it's kind of cool that there were that's different. That's that different. there were gay samurai. Yeah, that's. I think that's. I, I like that joke much better than my joke. <laughs> <laughs> they can be so dramatic and sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's fucking fat. I thought you. I. I thought the joke you were gonna do was seven breaths and then. I'll suck his dick. No, no, no. Well, that would have that would have been your version. seven breasts. Although I seven do, breasts. although I do think the Saddam Hussein joke is hilarious. You should do that. Oh that's really? One, yeah, that's so. Funny. Just keep me alive. Keep me in a box. Put dicks in the box. I'll suck them all. I don't care. That's funny. Yeah. Um. That could have been the answer to. Um, um, male 
misogyny in Los Angeles. They could have just brought that Saddam box to oh. Los Angeles. Man, you you have you have you been abroad for the old me, whole Me Too thing? No, I, well, I mean, no, I'm traveling, but, no, but it's where, in all over the world. And then, is it coming up over there? No, no, but in France, they have the Me Too hashtag. Me Too has inspired. Uh, I think it's out your pig. Is the is the is the version they're doing in France? Really? Yeah, no. But sexuality is so different in Europe than it is in the states. No, but I, I, there's no. I mean, um, what was that? The guy, the French guy that raped the um, the maid in New York City. Remember that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Years Uh, ago, and he's yeah, and he is now in Russia. No, I don't know what happened to that guy. Oh, what was his name? But no, that's the 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 Me Too thing is, um, is everywhere. I mean, in you know the. I like the dialogue it opens. I like that. I like stuff that may, that forces people to question themselves, their behavior, and listen to other people. I like that. I, I'm I have no problem with. You know, when I was really young, I used to have a joke that I always never would. I like political correctness. I like the just. I like that. We're allowing people to feel more like I feel every day. Like as a as a privileged white male, I feel pretty fucking awesome every day. I mean, I, I, life life doesn't throw me a ton of curveballs that I can't deal with. You know, I, I'm healthy, but, that's, but I think that's probably the only place it would happen. But like, I don't get followed around a store, and I don't have no one smacks me in the ass, no one whistles at me. Um, I'm probably, you know, and 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 I I remember when I was younger, going, I think everyone should feel like that. Everyone. There's no reason a woman should go to work and feel like, oh, fuck, dread work and go, yeah. this is going to be a fucking long... There's no... And I, I don't understand anyone who doesn't understand that. Um, I, what, you know, big, big thing um, for me that, that it highlights, just something that really irritates, irritates the shit out, out of me uh, in any form is bad manners. Yeah. I mean, I hate injustice. That's a big thing. And you can see that in my comedy. I always, I'll talk about um, things that I think are just unjust. And um, uh, I, I, I think uh, it's just people not having good manners. And yeah. the, you know, the, the sexual harassment and all the, you know, a lot of the, the Me Too things, you know, um, just people really having bad manners i think there's i think there is like pulling your dick out and jacking off in front of somebody that's not good manners it's not good manners <laughs> i mean unless you're on coke in uh, in a mcdougal in an apartment uh, uh, with a waitress uh, uh, and it's uh, mutual uh, uh, and you guys have agreed there's a candle and you listen to Ani defranco then yeah you guys agree on Ani defranco that's what a great i, I used to love Ani defranco oh my god so i was obsessed with Ani defranco was too. That's oh so great. she was like there was a period of my life where I became like, a, like I think the, the my other side, my other, my feminine side opened up yeah. when I first started doing comedy. And uh, I think probably because the p- nicest people to me in the business at the time were women. Like women comics were always pleasant. Like Sarah Silverman would just walk in and she'd be like, hey, how you doing? One of the best humans yeah. ever. And, and one of my favorite comedians. I think she's, oh, yeah. her comedy and the way she's evolved... Uh, I, I thought her last special was brilliant. I, she's phenomenal. She's just the uh, just the the craft of delivering and um, the you know sucker punch and the element of surprise. Just uh, her her writing is is exceptional. Yeah, I think she's phenomenal. I I wish um, I'm going through a little bit of a Chelsea Handler phase where I'm like a little obsessed with her. Not obsessed, but like 
I just you're obsessed with Chelsea. I think she's I think she's cool. I think she's smart. I wish she still did stand up. I, I understand that she's going to be an activist now. I think that a lot of women are starting to veer that way. Yeah. You know, Alyssa Milano is one of my favorite human beings. Just I, I, I like anything goes down with anything, and I go, "What's Alyssa Milano's take?" Because I, I, despite the fact that she uh, started her career on Who's the Boss, she really is an intelligent, well thought person who shares a very compassionate viewpoint with things, and I like that. Um, but yeah, I like. I, the, I think the women were always really cool to me, and I remember, I don't forget who it was, but it introduced me to Ani DeFranco, and I was like, oh, this is badass. I was also obsessed with Janine. I was I was always thought Janine was like the shit, but um, and I went through a big Ani DeFranco phase. Oh, oh. I did too in the in the in the in the late '90s, and I always loved. Well, she had her own record label. Yeah, and I love uh, ruthless, it's, it's ruthless, righteous babe. Righteous babe, and the symbol <laughs> is this woman like doing. I, I always loved that. Um, I actually sent her my first CD that I put out myself. Really, hot sweet ass, and uh, I, I I mailed it to her um, production company, their righteous babe in Buffalo, New York, yeah. when I first put it out, and I said, I don't know if you ever think about putting out a comedian on your label but i would like you to consider me any word back and i never heard back from her i wonder how she's got a she was our age when she was making music right like her girls like her ladies like i think her, she's still making music i'm not she's sure she's still touring amy schumer just went <clears throat> and saw her in new orleans i just saw amy schumer a, a video post I'm, I'm probably most dialed into instagram Okay, good. I think Instagram oh, is worth. Then you're loving me. Uh, yeah, I am. I, I am. only have like 2,300 followers, which is amazing. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So, like, I posted these uh, when, earlier when you brought this up. Like, uh, I went to the world's largest Genghis Khan statue. It's like an hour and a half out of um, Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital of Mongolia. Yeah. And they don't have highways, man. It was a two lane road. It was like. Uh, some cows got into the road and all of a sudden there's a traffic jam really? and then all those gurs they're not called yurts those round white tents they're yeah. called gurs so they travel with those right well some of them but a lot of them are they're kind of permanently in areas so they yeah. you go out of the city and there's a few in the city but it, as you go out into the country you you see the gurs everywhere and um, there was a point where it was like am I going to make it back in time to do the show yeah and the the comedian who was driving was like just hauling ass and it's freezing it was like in the 30s oh. and we made it there and the statue it's on my instagram uh and, and then i did a podcast about Genghis khan and uh, i used this as the photo for the for the episode it's a beautiful silver statue like a uh, like aluminum silver, like a Coors Light can. Yeah. Uh, the statue itself. And it was at sunset when I got up there. The platform is on top of the horse's head. And this beautiful shot of the sunset under Genghis Khan's arm. And I'm on the thing. And like, I think I got like, uh, however, I got, you know, 43 likes or something. Yeah. But had it been a photo with a famous friend of mine that I saw at the comedy store, I would have gotten like, you know, a, thousand a fucking likes. thousand likes. That's so interesting. So that's the thing, interesting thing about Instagram. Oh, I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I, I get very into it. Like I'll post a video and then go, oh shit, I should have done a better cover for that. Oh, I should have done a better filter. 
oh, I should have posted that at 2 p.m. as opposed to, like, there's a period if you live in L.A. that if you post, yeah. you get the most amount of views, mostly because the majority of our English-speaking fans are awake at the same time. Australia, yeah, well, say that England. to me, but like I've got, I play all over the world, so I always think, well, you know, it's fucking morning in France. Yeah, but it, it's somebody not, in it's China front, or Japan. Like if if you post, I think if you post at four or five p.m. in L.A. time, then the majority of English pe speaking people are awake. You get Australia, England. I think it's like four or three. England, Australia, the states, every like that's and so I. I like I noticed that when I was started to tour Australia, I was like, "Oh, I should probably post these when Australia's awake, as opposed to when the state." It doesn't matter if anyone in the states sees these promo videos. Yeah, like I should post it when Australia's wide awake. I had to because I'm um I I took I've taken the um I've, I've taken the first I've taken most of January off to focus on my book. Yeah, and uh, I had to. My wife made me uh, take Instagram off my phone. Which is great. So, like, I'm not distracted. I'm not looking at Instagram. Yeah. It's addictive, man. Oh, it's you know hardcore. Where's Bert like, Kreischer right now? Oh, it's What's it's one on? of my, it's one of my favorite things to do is just go yeah. on and go. Like, especially with you because you travel so much. I'm like, oh, cool. And those your minute bit of informations were great. The knowledge nuggets. Knowledge nuggets. I was like, I was like, oh, it's it it is what I think that platform's meant for, as opposed to just pictures of your food. I like following chefs that show me cool food. I like chefs who kind of break down food for me a little more. Like, uh, but for the most part, yeah, like I, I want that and, I, and people who can navigate the stories really well. Like I like good stories. I like a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. I like the stories that have arcs and then a, or, or... As far as photos goes? Photo no, no, stories? No, 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 The stories. Are you back on Instagram yet? Um, <clears throat> I posted a, a couple things yesterday. So I was given a... So this is the stories, is those top circles up there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, always. And those are videos. Yeah, they're videos. They're like, uh, or sometimes pictures, but Eliza, Jen Kirkman, Sebastian, um, Dane, Adam Richmond, Scalar Brothers. Uh, I just followed this girl, Alex, Alex, Alexi Wasser, Wasser, Wasser. Uh, Duncan Trussell told me to follow her. He's like, she does really good stories. So I was like, oh, cool. I follow this guy, Adam Greentree, who I met through Rogan, who's a hunter. And he just does like these, he just hunts. That guy hunts fucking, that guy hunts the way we write jokes. He just fucking hunts. I mean, if he's not, if he's not rebuilding a fence or a, a floor or a table or a truck, he's hunting. And he's, I've seen the guy kill two deers in a day. Wow. Like he fucking hunts. Makes me want to hunt. I was talking to Dunk about it today. Makes me want to hunt. But I don't think I have the balls to kill anything. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could really. <clears throat> yeah, I don't either. I um, And I was never a big gun guy, but I was playing in Alaska about 10 years ago. And I met. Joku Charlie's? A year, years ago. Like 10 <laughs> years ago. I met some guy, um, big gun enthusiast guy. And he, he actually had a, 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 a charting fishing boat. He took me out fishing. And um, I got to bring a, a cooler full of halibut back home. But he took me skeet shooting. And I was I've never been a gun person in my life. I was amazing at it. <laughs> and I loved it. So I could never uh, shoot an animal. I, don't, I wouldn't, yeah. uh, wouldn't want to kill anything. But I will fuck up a clay plate. Dude, we should go skeet shooting. There's a great skeet shooting place. Oh, my place. God. Uh, now, there's... there's a, fuck golf. Yeah. I want to go skeet shooting. Dude, oh. 
Uh, let's can, do that. Can I plan a skeet shooting adventure for us? Yes, let's make so that. Have, let's make that our thing. They've got this um, one thing we did that's even more fun. You walk through the woods with your gun, and you go to different stations, and you go to your station, and you don't know where the skeet's coming from, but you hear it come out, and it's really like hunting. It's really it's the same place. That sounds like you could get shot in the face. Like no 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 uh, no, it's totally it's totally it's shooting. totally um totally organized properly meaning like uh like you go like it's a platform it's like a dock and with a with a hooded thing and you swipe i forget how we did it but i think you swipe something and then it or you press a button and then you hear doot doot and the skeet come out but they come out from you're shooting you're shooting into the open but they come out from like underneath or above just like if you were shooting birds it's really fun i did it with my friends it was really fun i'll, I'll play a skeet shooting adventure okay i did it with I, I and if i get shot in the face everybody heard it here <laughs> what's even more funny is we went and did it we've got these shotgun we're we're doing we're shooting clay pigeons and uh we're three guys uh loaded shotguns walking down the path to go to our next playing and a deer walked directly in front of us like nah i'm safe here guys wow. and we just walked and kept going and we're like oh this is like the whole thing of hunting you're supposed to shoot it like yeah i don't know if i could i don't know if i could although uh i've been trying to write this joke about elk because like all i see are people cooking elk everything elk looks so fucking good and i go i just want to kill the fuck out of an elk like they need a new pr team because there's digital footprints horrible all it is is great elk steaks, great backstraps. I was like, they should get the same PR team that lions have. Because you kill a lion, and man, fucking uh, people go nuts. I wrote a joke about about deer hunting years ago about because I was in a um, uh, like a big sporting goods one of those. I forget what the the big hunting place is called. Um, I'm a moron. There's a big chain of them all over Cabela's, something like that. Yeah, and and I was just looking around. And, uh, you know, just looking around. And um, in the hunting area, they were selling doe urine. Oh, So yeah. apparently, like, deer hunters will just sprinkle it because, like, the, oh, the I've doe, been drinking it. the urine <laughs> has this certain scent when, they're, when, the, when, the, uh, when the female deer is, is uh, ready to mate. The, the urine has a special odor. So the hunter just sprinkles it around, and it just uh, it, it makes it even more sad for me that the moment before a, a deer's life is ended, he's thinking, hey, there's girls over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not a fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I saw um I saw a bear hunting thing one time on TV and it didn't seem fair to me. These guys were in like a in like a like a house so they couldn't get hurt by the bear and they were just it was like it was almost like they lured the bear to them and then the bear showed up and then they just like got him and shot him. And I was like, "Oh, I don't want to hunt bear." Like that's I like part of the fucking part of the hunt of a bear I would think would be walking down the thing and the bear's there and you're staring at it and you got to get your shit together the revenant yeah yeah exactly yeah. but yeah like I think you know it's so funny one friend gets into hunting and now all of a sudden I'm watching hunting videos like crazy I was saying the the thing I I I, I, I like about hunting or the thing that I that dr would draw me to it is the romantic side of going out in the woods waking up early like literally like fucking making a fire and then trying to find your like trying to find an animal you know like with you and like three friends and then hunting that animal and then but but i we we killed a buffalo one time for a trip flip and man i cried 
The second we shot it, I cried. Oh, Buffalo, wow. Oh, so bad. It was a big herd. We were in, uh, I think, Idaho, up by Montana, in Crow Nation, Crow Territory. And it was the crow that had the right to kill the buffalo. So we get up on a perch. All the buffalo are down, big herd. And they're like, we got to take out one of the males because if you too many males and shit goes down. And so we're going to take out one of the males. So they line the shot up, shoot. As soon as they shoot, all the buffalo kind of stay up, run off except for one. And uh, he, they didn't get him in like his vitals. He was suicidal. He'd just <laughs> broken up with his girl. He's like, aww. <laughs> his life like, isn't worth when living. You take my head, show it to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's well worth seeing. <laughs> and uh, they shot him, in the, and I guess they didn't get his vital. And so he kind of was like, oh, what the fuck? And then everyone took off, except he couldn't run. They shoot it again. And now he goes down to a knee, and then this little baby buffalo comes running back to him like, Dad, what the fuck? Come on, we got to go. Dad, they're shooting. And you can see him like, no, go, keep going. They're going to get you too. And then they shot it again, and the baby wouldn't leave him. And then the mom, one of the mom, guessing a mom, came over and said, come on, let's go. They're, you know, this is dangerous. And then we went down, and, and it was like, I was just really fucking intense. And I, I had a really tough time dealing with it. I was like. Yeah, it's such beautiful animals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and one of our American symbols. I one of my favorite places in America is Montana. Oh, and um, I've been to Montana like five, six times. Um, Rich Hall, one of my oldest best friends. He's um, fucking. He genius. owns a place in Livingston. He's a genius. And I've been going to visit. And Rich helped me get him with with London um, years ago. And it's interesting in the movie Phantom Thread. Yeah, the way they film it. He's on Fitzroy Square, where he, where this, where uh, Daniel Day Lewis lives, where his sewing shop is. Yeah. And so Rich Hall lived on Fitzroy Square, and the first five years uh, when I when I lived in Holland, when I first started making trips to London, uh, and that's how I, when I got in with London, led to the international circuits. Uh, Rich Hall gave me a key to his apartment, really? and he lived on Fitzroy Square. And so that was my favorite thing about the movie Phantom Thread. I'm like, oh my god, it's Fitzroy Square. Yeah. And it looks it looks like, you know, England. This old England is why they filmed there. Um, but Rich has a place in Livingston, so I've been to Montana a lot. And um, the last time I was there, we were, you know, you'll see signs that say Bison next ten miles or whatever, and then there'll be bison along the road so i thought what's the difference between and i made a knowledge nugget out of this what's the difference between a buffalo and a bison what um the really only if i remember this correctly the only true buffalo are the african buffalo and the asian buffalo what we have in north america are bison and uh the difference between a bison and a buffalo is that it has never been recorded or witnessed a buffalo uh mating with cattle cows but it it has been um recorded and witnessed many times bison will mate with cows really so that's the difference that a bison will fuck a cow and a buffalo won't oh a buffalo is just a discerning animal (laughs) Eh, i don't fuck cows bro i can get better than that trying to make sure i don't oh it's only 314 right now okay good um I have a. I have what? to go play. That was the fight you were witnessing inside. Yeah, I'm playing tennis with Georgia at four. Okay, so I gotta be out of here like th- in like 15 minutes. Oh no! But um, yeah, I know. But it always goes by so quick. I know. I dude, you're. I I want to keep going, but uh, 
you're you just it's part of who you are I, you're the most slept on podcaster ever Be, and i always say i've said most this what you, slept on podcaster what do you mean? like people don't realize what amazing podcast interviews you do i remember you telling me one time we were in passing i said man i love the podcast you did with doug stanhope you go oh you should check out the one i have with kim.com yeah and i was like what and you're like, oh, just check it out. You're very flippant about it. You weren't like, oh, I only got maybe the biggest fucking get ever. Like the most federally sought after, legally sought after gazillionaire in Micronesia. Or he where, lives in New Zealand. In New Zealand. Yeah. And you did a fucking podcast with Yeah, this I went guy. to his house in New Zealand. You went to his house. Yeah. And, and I go, I remember listening to it going, hold on one second. I remember going, it's got to be a different Kim.com. I'm like, wait, am I thinking of the... And then I was Googling him as I'm listening to it. I think I'm on a plane and I'm on my iPad and I'm looking at all his shit and who this guy is. And I'm like, Tom did a podcast with this guy? And I was like, that was one of my favorite fucking podcasts. Cool. I need... Uh, it, it's remarkable I don't have more listeners. I... I have been doing some really cool ones lately, like um, about things that I'm really into. Like I went to Mongolia, so I, I and I read Genghis Khan's biography. So mm -hmm. I did a, a Genghis Khan episode uh, in December. I went to Switzerland, and I went to Charlie Chaplin's house. Really? It's now a museum. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about a few things, and uh, now we only have 15 minutes to talk about it. I wish I, I, <clears throat> I wish I'd. I'm, I'm was, sorry. This we, was I, a huge fight in our house. It's a, no problem. I no apologize. problem. So um, I read Charlie Chaplin's autobiography, and then I did a an episode about Charlie Chaplin. Um, I am I'm, I'm going to Paris this weekend. I've got a show at Theater de Louvre on the 29th. So uh, I think next week when I get back, I'm going to do an episode on the French Revolution once Dude. I finish this book. So like I'm 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 doing like. Um, a lot of research and a lot of uh, really interesting, well, cool, one of the cool episodes that people now. I don't. I feel like, and it's and all in my about what we were talking about earlier, where the thing I get off about traveling is like learning the most that I can about these places or like people who are my heroes who are from there. Have you done Ari's podcast? It's been a few years. You got to do Ari's podcast again because Ari now is going through. I think that that renaissance that personal renaissance you went through and now ari is very like very very much like about um when he travels being being a very small footprint very much ingrained very much learning like you know and, and traveling with him is really interesting and i always say it, it i guess he did an interview with uh, henry rollins and it changed the way he looked at his life i guess henry rollins said henry rollins is a lot like you Go into a place, fucking bottle of water, a book, a notebook, walk around, coffee, write, meet the people, yeah. eat something great, go into a museum, find some shit that you really want to learn about. I used to love this this writer, James Mishner. Um, and Mishner, yeah, of course, wrote uh, all those books about Hawaii and Alaska. Yeah, he would take a subject and then... And he had a great quote of, um, if, if you don't want to experience the food and the people of different locations why even bother traveling yeah and and i i would read mishner as i traveled and he would tell they were they were fictionalized uh stories of the events but based in non-fiction so he would add characters that he would make it easy he would make what people do in movies it's based on a true story uh this guy yeah, there were a lot of guys like this guy but this guy this is this guy's story i loved it i loved it well, how big, Charlie Chaplin's house in Switzerland? It's amazing. So, um, 
he was uh, in the McCarthy era. You know, he was a communist sympathizer. Was he really? Yeah, but he, you know, he was called before Congress in the McCarthy hearings, and he said that I have never voted and I have never belonged to a political party. At the beginning of World War II, the United States did not want to get involved. Yeah. And before the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. So the Germans had attacked Russia. And a lot of people in the United States felt that a second front should be opened up against Germany to relieve Russia. So he was kind of pro-Russia, pro-communist. And um, a lot of people felt that in Europe, that the, that the, the Germans needed to be taken care of. And that the second uh, front, this attack on Germany, should be done. So there was a communist rally... There was an American senator was supposed to speak at it. There used to be communist groups in America yeah. before World War II. And the senator was supposed to speak at this rally in San Francisco. He got sick, asked Chaplin to cover for him. Chaplin went up there and opened his speech with comrades. And the place came fucking unglued. And then he did his pro-Russia, pro-commie rant. And then there was another, there wasn't much... Hubbaloo about that there was another commie rally at Carnegie Hall in New York City and so the San Francisco one had gone so well so they asked Chaplin to do the one at Carnegie Hall and he walked out again and said comrades and the place fucking comes unglued and a lot of people wrote about it you know hey not only is Chaplin you know uh, having sex with all these teenage girls he's um, (laughs) you know he's, uh, he's a commie yeah. So when he 1952, he's on a ship going to England for the premiere of Limelight, and the United States revoked his temporary visa because he was an English citizen. He never gave up his English passport, and then he had felt like he had been persecuted enough by the uh, the American government, um, and thought things were a lot of hip, very hypocritical here, with religious leaders getting yeah. involved in politics and all these things, and. He just said, fuck it, and he moved his family to Switzerland. I would love to live in Switzerland. So his house is amazing, and what they've done, the museum, uh, it was like 23 euros to get in, which I thought was a little pricey. Yeah. And then by the end of it, I was like, I, I, it, could, it, it, was, it was well worth it. So in all these different, they let you sit on the furniture in the house, first of all. Most museums, you can't sit on the furniture. Yeah. And my favorite room, they had all these Chaplin home movies, him and his kids, and how he was living there as an old man in Switzerland. And it's great. You can sit on the chairs and sit there and watch it. And then also they had all these wax figures of Chaplin at different periods in his life. And uh, Albert Einstein was his friend, Winston Churchill, Sophia Loren in the house. So... I leave the house, and then, you know, it's winter. The sun's going down at, like, 5 p.m. So yeah. I go in the backyard, and I sit in the backyard, and I watch the sunset on the Alps. And it, it was just—I I have photos on Instagram. Um, I'm going to have to go through and retweet all your photos on Instagram. And it, so it was, it was, like, one of the happiest moments of my life, sitting in Chaplin's backyard watching the sunset. And I think winter's the time to go. Maybe in summer it might be a little more crowded. Yeah. Uh, and then um, they said, oh, you got to go. Then there's this modern house, modern building. <clears throat> um, and they said, oh, you got to go watch this movie. So there's a 10-minute movie on Chaplin's life, perfectly edited, sound bites, his movies, things in, through his life, just the story of his life for only 10 minutes. And then the screen opens up. And it's this recreation of a London street where Chaplin grew up. 
So it's not over yet. I've already wow. peaked watching the sunset, <laughs> being in the house. And I, I spent the whole day there. I got there like at one. I spent probably, uh, you know, four hours in the house. Yeah. And then an hour sitting in the backyard. And then, uh, and then the place closed at 6 p.m. So I only had an hour. I go down this London street. And then it's all these sets from Charlie Chaplin movies. The Gold Rush. This cabin is on this precipice of a cliff and it's teetering. Yeah. And Chaplin is under the table. You can get on, go onto the cabin and it's set up like the movie set. It's on rollers. So you walk on one side of the cabin and it tilts. And then modern times where he gets stuck in the machinery. Yeah. You can like get on the Holy on the cogs. Shit. And then uh, there's another there's a barbershop scene. And then, you know, and then they, they had his bowler and his hat and the floppy shoes and everything. Yeah. But um, it was one of the greatest days I've ever spent in my life. Really? And I, I had his autobiography, but I had never read it. And um, I burned through it once I got home. And then I recorded this excellent episode about the life of Charlie Chaplin. But I, I so I wanted to know, uh, you as the traveler, yeah. had you ever been to the Charlie Chaplin no, house? No, no, no. My Switzerland experience was very um, adventure-based. So we went to Interlaken. We went skiing in the Alps. We went hella skiing. We um, went to a, uh, one of my one of my favorite memories ever. Uh, this is a, it's probably when I had a little too much control over my show, which and I probably should not have had it. But I was like, uh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna. Uh, what's the dog? I wanna. Uh, What's the big dog? It's St. Bernard. St. Bernard with the it's, bottle of booze in so the barrel. So they brought St. Bernard, yeah. and I had him with me the whole trip. Ha. <laughs> so we spent the night in an igloo, me and the St. Bernard. And then we went to a ski chalet, and we had hot white wine and fondue, and then stayed up there way too late and had to make our way down the mountain on um, in pitch black. I mean, pitch black. But Switzerland is one of the places. <clears throat> I just started traveling with the girls, meaning like. Switzerland's amazing. And uh, the the, to take the I've train been. through Switzerland uh, on the top. Take the, you take the train and you, all of a sudden you'll cut in and you'll see the most picturesque valley with a little town in there. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like, it, oh, Switzerland. And going along Lake Geneva on the train. Oh, and you get those little castles just like jet, jettisoned out. You'll be on a road and a big mountain on the side. And on to your left is a big <laughs> lake and there will be a big castle just on an island in, a, in the lake. And you're like, what the? F it is otherworldly like it is it, it feels like it shouldn't exist especially and kids so, growing up in florida yeah you go there's no way this is fucking real i i uh I, there's a great comedy tour there i've done it this was the third time i've done it there's a, a lot of, and I'm, I, I need to do a, a knowledge nugget about switzerland there's a lot of um, fascinating things about switzerland like um uh a hamster it's illegal to have only one hamster you because you need they need to have a friend Really? Yeah. And they just made it illegal last week to boil lobsters live. I just saw that. Uh, and um, Sundays are sacred in Switzerland. It is illegal to make loud noises, to hammer, to really? hang out laundry, to wash your car, all these like activities. Like Sundays are meant for people to take the day off and spend it with their family. There's like a lot of really fascinating things about Switzerland. I would I would love. And Switzerland, I think like nature is the answer. Like if you're having problems in your life to yes. like to calm you out and get you back centered, and Switzerland has the greatest nature 
on the planet Earth, and Switzerland invented absinthe and LSD, two of the most mind-altering chemicals ever. So uh, once upon a time, these people in Switzerland looked at this stunning nature and thought, it's just not enough. <laughs> I... Uh... One of the one of the fascinating things that I the a very small thing, uh, as everyone knows, my new hobby is snowboarding. But uh, but Switzerland, the skis, the the slopes are above the tree line in a lot of the places. So when you go snow skiing, I you never have seen slopes like this in the states where it is a cliff next to you, and the, and it's almost like a real note of hey, you're in charge of your own safety here. Like this, we're not here to help you. This is your safety. If you don't know how to ski, don't get up here. Right. This is for skiers. I remember we, there was like a, I, I'm not even joking. I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but I swear to God, the path maybe was 15 feet wide, if that. And on one side was cliff and on the other side was mountain. And I'm snowboarding and I'm just thinking, hug the fucking mountain, run into the mountain. Don't even get near the cliff. And I'm literally on my heels going down this mountain going like, motherfucker. And then you get open and, and I had one of the most spiritual moments of my life. I'm snowboarding and I kind of bust a little bit and I look, I'm in the moment where you are snowboarding and I'm on my ass and I look up and it's the Alps. And I'm like, oh my God, like how lucky am I to be in this one place? And I started crying and there was a cameraman behind me and he turned around, and he, I turned around, and I saw him, and I'm just bawling. And he's like, what are you going? And I'm like, I can't believe this yeah. is fucking real. Yeah, and, and it's the exact opposite of Florida. Oh, oh, exact. And I remember going down to the bottom, getting down to the base, and there was this great bar, and I got the two big beers, and I sat in a fucking Adirondack, and I was staring up at the mountains, watching people ski in, and I'm just like, oh, this is the greatest fucking moment of my life. I got a big St. Bernard next to me. I was, I love, dude, Switzerland is a fucking really happy place for me. I love that place. Well, you got to go to the Charlie Chaplin house. and the, I have to. I have to. Um, the interesting thing about Charlie Chaplin, I talked about this on my, my podcast, that uh, after he died, grave robbers dug up his grave and tried to ransom his corpse to his family. And they found the guys ended up, it was two local mechanics in the little town in yeah. Switzerland. So you can be rich... I said this on stage in Switzerland. I said it on the podcast. You know, you Swiss people, you're with all your money, think you got it figured out. But if you don't pay your low wage earners more money, they're going to dig up your dead bodies <laughs> and ransom it to your family. So I want to uh, get I want I want to <clears throat> get hooked into some of these tours you do. I'm doing, I'll be happy. I'm yeah, and you, and you know, you landed in Sydney, Australia, the day I was leaving. Yeah, I would have loved to have. Sydney's have one of my favorite cities in the world. To been there with you. I, I, mine. You played that, um, that, that amazing theater. The Enmore? Enmore Theater. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, voice dial changed to the N word theater. What? I, was, I posted it on Instagram, on Twitter. I was like, I'll be performing at the Enmore Theater. Huh. And they wrote the N word theater. Huh. And it, and I think that helped me sell tickets ultimately. <laughs> but yeah, I did the, that, did the Sydney Opera House two nights in a row, just on part of the festival. Wow. And that was, that was mind blowing. Yeah. Didn't have the best sets of my life. I, um, years ago when I, I, I've been playing Sydney a long time, but I was staying at this hotel and I was, it was when I was trying to, to, um, to be healthy. So I would jog every day and it was about two miles to the Sydney Opera House and I would run up the steps of the Sydney Opera House and do the Rocky thing. Yeah. And that was my, my 
point of turning around. This is how unattended. And then how- also, I've been on top of the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Have you ever done that? No. You can go and, and do and the hike. You can you can climb up to the top of it. There's tours. Yeah. And you can go onto the top, and that's like one of the most incredible spots on planet Earth. This is how detached I was in that Australian tour. Because for me, I was traveling every day and performing every night. And if and, you and, gotta give yourself some time. I ha- what happened was I I I hadn't sold well in Melbourne, Melbourne, and in Sydney I had sold okay, and they're like, we need you to do this uh, this radio show, or this TV show. Forget the name of it. Top of the chart. I don't know top of the charts, but something like that. Um, the view or the look. It's, I'm sure you've done it. And uh, so I had to land in Perth, fly to Melbourne. Fly back to Perth. That's the, only, to, that's the only other side of the continent. It was night, and, and so like it was back and forth the whole time, and uh, and it was just. And by the time I got to Sydney, was the only time I had two days off, like two days where I wasn't flying. And I, my buddy Eric Grusin came with me, and I'm walking down to the Sydney Opera House to do my set. On the first night, and he goes, "How cool!" And I was like, "Huh?" And he was like, "You're performing at the Sydney Opera House," and I was like, "What?" He was like, you're performing in the Sydney Opera House. And I went, oh. And I was th- that's how far removed I was, how distant I was in that tour. Because I was so used to just just traveling and performing, traveling and performing. Yeah. And uh, and I, when I got there, I went, oh, my God. And, and I had this moment of clarity where I went, seven years ago, I was here with Travel Channel. We were doing a segment. And I remember my buddy John Manns, or uh, not, it wasn't John Manns. It was uh, my buddy Andy, my buddy John were like, Hey, Bert, one day you'll be performing there. And I was like, and I literally said, guys, something very drastic will happen to happen in my career for me to perform in that play. Try, try. And I literally said, trust me, on my life, I will never perform there. That will never happen. And then I was performing there two nights in a row, and I was like, oh. Now, and granted, I didn't sell the tickets. It was uh, the festival that sold the tickets. But, but it you was, still played there. I still played there. It was <laughs> yeah. fucking badass. I love Perth also. Perth Dude, is, did you go, did, love uh, Perth. In Fremantle, the town next door is where Bon Scott is from. I went and put flowers on Bon Scott's grave because early ACDC helped me get through eighth grade at Jackson Heights Middle School. Helped me get and, through any fist fight I was ever yeah. in. Yeah, and then in um, uh, there's this spot called Northbridge Piazza. No. It's this park, this little square in the middle of the town, and it's got golf course, smooth grass, and there's a giant jumbotron TV screen. It's on William Street or James. This is a street where all these bars are. And I had come yeah. out. I was still drinking when I did the Perth Festival years ago. I'm walking down the street, and then there's here's this massive jumbotron screen and they were showing like this african tribe like they're they're doing this like drum thing and people are dancing and then it cut to like these chinese women doing some like beautiful ribbon dance with these flowing ribbons and it was just these little vignettes snippets of all these great things from all over the world yeah and i was like um boozed and i just i just reclined in this plush golf course grass and watched this jumbotron for like an hour and like apparently like on saturday afternoons they show children's films and then they'll they'll show massive sporting events but like whenever i meet someone from perth i always go oh northbridge piazza <laughs> do you know what i, I call did? it tv park do you know what i did uh i listened to in excess and jogged oh my water. god 
uh, I'll never forget at my 16th birthday party I had at my house, stopping the party to uh, demand who had stolen my Listen Like Thieves cassette. Dude. <laughs> I loved In Excess. I loved, I still love In There's Excess. There's a, uh, on New South Head Road, it's my favorite restaurant in Sydney, it's called Flavor of India. Yeah. And it's actually where Michael Hutchins had his last meal before really? he went and autoerotic asphyxiated himself. And for that reason, whenever I eat there, I never wear a belt. <laughs> They have a coconut encrusted shrimp there that is so good. The only answer would be to hang yourself afterwards. <laughs> Guys, I'm not getting better than that. Let's see. All right, I got to wrap this okay, up. Okay, one last go. thing. Yeah, please. And, uh, and I, I, I sent you a message from, from Paris yes. in December. Have you ever gone to the catacombs? These underground tunnels I went to the, that are full I, of cave uh, skulls and Yeah, yeah, I went to the catacombs. Wait, do they have catacombs? I went to the catacombs. Where did I go to the catacombs, though? I uh, would have, have, yeah, I went to the catacombs. I went to, yeah, I definitely went to the catacombs. Okay. I but I, I did it with Travel Channel, so I was dead inside going, guys, we got to shoot in 15 oh. minutes. Okay, can I plug a couple things? Please, please, uh, please. If you're listening in Paris, I'm at the Theater de Louvre on January 29th. Hey, if you're listening in Paris, just do me a favor. Go to the show <laughs> and then go up to Tom after the end and go, hey, the machine sent me. That's Great. all. Yeah, that's awesome. how I, I can judge awesome. how the list. But go, I would. There was no question about it. I, especially if you're living in Paris, you will love Tom Rhodes. There's no. And question. I love Paris. I like, got a lot. Listen, of, if you're in Omaha, you're gonna you love know, Tom Rhodes. But. Uh, the first love of my life was with a Parisian. I, I first time I went to Paris, I was maced. I had a long history with Paris. Uh, I almost drowned at a French resort in Thailand. Anyway, I'll save that. Uh, that's all going to be on my next special. Uh, February 7th through the 10th, I'm at the Punchline in San Francisco. Oh, my favorite club on the planet Earth. One of the best Earth. clubs in the entire world. And February 22nd through 25th, I'm in your hometown, Tampa, Are at really? Splitters. Are you going in to do Cowhead? I don't know. Yeah, you got to do Cowhead. I'm uh, not sure. I'll reach out to him to make sure. Great. Cool. Yeah, you and, love. Uh, and then also I have a new album on iTunes called All Hail Laughter. Uh, all right, I'll t I'll take that. I'll retweet that. I'm gonna retweet your podcast you did about uh, Charlie Chaplin. Great. And then Genghis Khan. Yeah, and then J and Genghis Khan. Nice. And uh, and dude, I, I wish we had longer. I, I wish do too. I adore you. And I one of my favorite things in the world is talking with you about travel. So you're you one know? of the you're I, you I there's I don't need to I say this for the people listening, but from the day I started, you've been an influence of mine, like a, a huge influence of mine. And obviously, and I say this. 100% uh, transparency watching you go from the party and lifestyle to a guy who has not changed one bit and is literally living this like I, I, like a, a, an out of jail life where you're doing these amazingly cool things and I don't look at you like someone who's like craving the booze or the, or the drugs to, to make it happen you just seem like a guy who's just so fucking happy yeah I am I, a, I like the out of jail metaphor and you but know, before it, it when gives... i was partying a lot of my jokes were about partying now i think i'm bringing a lot more intelligence to uh to what i'm doing and the stories that i want to tell talking about my travel experiences talking about knowledge nuggets and things like that so i i, I think it's and it's why ultimately i think i stopped drinking because i knew it would make me a better comedian and it's i remember uh and I... not that anybody you know yeah i know you have it your looked... full life no i mean i busted my head open in philadelphia I blacked out and fell off of a bar stool. So, I mean, uh, if you're drinking and you're partying, just stay out of Philadelphia. Yeah. 
I'll be shooting my special in Philadelphia, February 23rd. Are you really? Fourth, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> At the truck. So uh, I will be drinking. <laughs> I'm not going to that Mexican restaurant. <laughs> no, but I still love hanging out. And I love, I don't have any problem with drinking or whatever. Yeah, that's the beautiful it's thing about you. It's just my own personal path in life. That's all I'm If on. you're in Paris and you go see the show, fucking hang back. Go have a cup of coffee with Tom. Walk the streets. I'll a hang bit. out while you're drinking. Yeah, yeah, I still like to hang out. He's the best. And please tell your wife I said hello. I, I will. Her. And uh, fantastic. I adore you, Bert. I love you too, man. Thank you for doing this. I love you. Man. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.